From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. It is six minutes past the hour. Thank you for waking up early in the morning. Well, we have to begin here because now it's an epidemic. Now a second batch of classified documents at a new Biden location. Now, they won't tell us this location. This, what is this? Hunter's uh, Toilet? In the, in the commode, you know, you lift the cover off, it taped underneath the uh, the toilet. And and Biden, again, always acting like, oh, my God, I'm so surprised. Oh, such a spectator. This guy should have to have a, like a ticket, entry ticket for his presidency. Aides to Joe Biden have discovered. Now, is he so out of it that he he can't discover these? What are they on a scavenger hunt? So tell me, and and I have to say, you you have to admit, this is so delicious because you have Biden on the record, how irresponsible it is to have like he like he never did it. He's so perfect. Remember, Barack Obama never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to blank things up. And he's used it singular to blank something up. That word rhymes with truck. And it has a phonetic sound like. But you can't say the word. But he did. Obama did. So hard F rhymes with truck and Biden does it, according to Barack Obama. That, that was the endearing comments that he would make about his own vice president that he picked. And remember, he picked Obama out of the ash can of history. Obama picked Biden out of the ash can of history because Obama's resume was so thin. He was such a joke that he needed to be able to say, hey, this guy's got more than 40 years and, you know, a lot lot of experience. So it offset his his youth and his thin resume where he had not had really – a single job in his entire life and don't worry and we've interviewed some of them his classmates don't ever remember seeing him at school either and you weren't doing remote learning back then so anyhow uh at least one additional batch of classified documents in a location separate from the washington dc biden office where the other classified documents and keep in mind these are that highest level of classified documents, SCI or whatever they're called, very, very high level. So if you have a special counsel for President Trump who's not the president, then how do you not have a special counsel when the sitting president, who has no way to mitigate, he can't say I declassified them because he was vice president, he didn't have the authority to declassify any of the documents that he had. And here's another thing. It seems some of the NBC reporting is uh, pretty good, but also, uh, as you can imagine, they're always looking to protect Biden, the Democrat media. But you got to give NBC credit. And there was one other 
outfit because they did cover it. These documents are highly confidential. But here's the other thing about them. They pertain to a lot of money, raking in the money, funded by China and Ukraine. China gave $55 million to Biden through the University of Pennsylvania. See, these are the things you have to look at. I mean, I'm just going to define it as dark money. Biden got paid through the University of Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania got paid by China. So you can't you can't say, oh, look at me, look at me. I I, I just got a million dollars from the University of Pennsylvania. But no, no, no. China gave the University of Pennsylvania millions and tens of millions of dollars. So Congress will do its job, the House of Representatives. Uh, that I, I got to tell you, this this is getting very, very serious. Biden's not just going to play, be able to play the all shucks. You know, I don't even know. That's not even me. I, it's I, I have that my attorneys told me not to to say anything. Well, are you going to say anything when you're under oath? What are you going to do then? Corinne Jean-Pierre was fabulous. Peter Ducey used Biden's own words. Is it irresponsible? And Corinne Jean-Pierre was just, well, I'm not going to say anything more than what the president said. Well, the president didn't say anything. Literally nothing for a while. And then because he knew he was going to get uh, hit at that America summit, he, he said, my attorneys uh, told me not to say anything. Wow, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound, um, I don't know, reassuring. That doesn't sound very solid. That sounds, that sounds very perp-like to me. So it's like aides to President Biden, lawyers to President Biden. Hey, how about Joe Biden himself, kids? Let's put him in there front and center. This is not like he's not there. This is solely about him. Nobody else to blame now. He tries. I guess this will be Republicans' fault. It'll be some kind of Republican dirty tricks. Remember, we tell you this all the time. And I should have known this. I should have said this before. Forgive me. Forgive me for I have failed you. I have a doctrine that I coined long ago that every single thing they accuse the other side of, they're guilty of. Now, let, let's see if this is plausible. And I think I might even be ahead of Andy Cortman and Brigantine on this one, where I understand it's a great day. Here's what I believe. I believe they knew that Biden had classified documents and they hid it for as long as they could. The only reason it came out now is somebody ratted him out. And I've been telling you all along, and it's especially going to be happening in the run up to 2024 for people that want to jump ship. Books, uh, confidential inside sources will be leaking. Someone close to the president has confirmed a nameless, reliable source. You're going to be you're going to be hearing a lot of this stuff. Trust me on this when I tell you this is not opinion. This is not speculation. And, it, and, and a piece of it that is, uh, I'll, I'll make it clear that it is. NBC has confirmed that they have an inside source. That's not in dispute. That's news. That's not 
opinion talk. That's how they found out about the classified documents. So follow along. This seems so, um, so plausible that I just believe this is exactly how it went down. Biden knew he had classified documents. So, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So what they do is they drop the hammer on Trump. Think about it. Hillary and the DNC, they had the Russia collusion problem. No problem. They wash their hands clean. They put their stank on Trump. And he's under investigation for what they did. How many years have I been telling you? And I should have on this. I should have saw this coming. But I'm not surprised and I've easily been able to put it together. Biden has these classified documents. It's a big problem. No, it's not. We'll get Trump. We'll kick the crap out of Trump, including uh, a phenomenal, crazy raid of his uh, of his home. Why aren't they raiding Biden offices and houses all over the, uh, the the fruited plain? Why is it that not happening? Aides are finding these and, and oh, we're, we're, it's OK. It's no coincidence we found these on November 2nd. So they knew they had classified documents. No problem. They'll put all the heat on Trump. Now, do you think now follow along because this is conjecture, but I think it's very reasonable. An insider tells NBC News and one other news outlet, I forget the second one, that Biden has classified documents, too. So then Shazam, oh, my God, look, the lawyers are finding him. Aides are finding him. I mean, classified documents are raining out of the sky. But they had him the whole time. But they got all the all the crushing weight put on Trump. If you don't think this is a great week to be President Trump. He owns Biden right now. He's not cooperating with the special counsel. And if I were an attorney and if I were his attorney, I would urge him not. They should not cooperate one bit. You do whatever you got to do. No, I'm not coming to see you. I don't have anything to say to you. You do whatever you're going to do, and I'm fine with it. Whatever you want to do, charge me. Don't charge me. I'm fine. But I'm not participating. He did that for five years. And all the people in his orbit. So once again, if you ever believe anything I've told you, I don't think you get 31 years in this business by being a liar. If you believe anything I've ever told you, every single thing the Democrats say and accuse the other side of, they are guilty of it in real time. Give me an example. I'll take that theory back when someone gives me an example where that's not true. It is true Basically, nearly 100 percent of the time, including classified documents. Now, be real. Based on the coverage that was happening, did you ever think that all of a sudden, right after there's a special counsel sicked on President Trump, that Biden would have classified documents falling out of his hiney hole? Did you ever think that that would be so? And what I'm urging you to do is immediately pre-program yourself that when you hear an accusation from Corinne Jean-Pierre, from any of these crooked Democrats, any of them, immediately assume the person they're saying about is innocent and they are guilty of the allegation. 
and you'll be right. It, look, it could take five years like it did with Russia collusion. Or it could take several months like it did with classified documents. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And I know I'm right. Fox News commentary. This week we learned it's okay to have classified information in your possession, even in your freaking closet, so long as you're a Democrat. I'm Tommy Laren. More next. It's Jesse Kelly here. I can't afford to lose 30% of my 401k or IRA again, and I'm assuming you can't either. Call Oxford Gold. Securing your IRA or 401k with real gold and silver is a portfolio protection plan, and Oxford Gold has made it easy as one, two, three. One app, one call, and you pick your precious metals. That's it. You now own precious metals. Call Oxford Gold today to learn more about the one, two, three protection plan. 833-404-GOLD. 833-404-GOLD. There were classified documents from Joe's tenure as vice president found in a closet in his private office at the Penn Biden Center. And you'll be just plumb shocked to know that Joe doesn't seem to remember how they got there. Playing the amnesia card, how original and fitting for Joe. Joe has classified documents in a closet. Hillary had a private server in a bathroom. And yet it was Donald Trump that was aggressively raided by the FBI. That's some real convenient national security work right there. So let me guess what happens next. Nothing. Biden forgot, the media will forget, and there will be zero accountability repercussions because, as we well know by now, that's how liberal privilege works. I think we're all getting a little, no, a lot sick and tired of this double standard. House Republicans absolutely need to investigate the weaponization of the federal government, FBI, DOJ. Drain the swamp and start over. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren is Fearless at Outkick. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. It is 20 minutes past the hour. I agree with a lot of Tommy Lahren, and I disagree when she said nothing is going to happen. That's not true. That literally cannot be true this time. You cannot have a president with a special counsel crushing him over classified documents when he was the president And he could declassify any document, including all. He could wave a magic wand and close his eye and stand only on his right foot and repeat three times. I declassify everything in this closet. I declassify everything in this closet. Let me say it a third time. I declassify everything in this topic. And if you saw me, I was on one leg and I was waving my wand and it was beautiful. I wish this was a TV show. Uh, He could do that. And then you can't charge him with anything. Oh, I'm sorry. You got to prove you did. No, I don't have to prove I did. I did it. It's unilateral. I have the power and I did it. Biden can't do that. Biden had classified documents that he had no business having in his possession. Now, as I crush Biden on this, let me just go back to my default position on this. If they didn't go after one side the way that they do. My position is that none of this is criminal. It can be oops. It can be other people that pack things. It can be you. It can be whatever. And if you find it, give it back. If somebody else finds out about it, give it back. If the National Archives, I mean, look, do you see the National Archives uh, calling the FBI and asking them to raid Joe Biden's homes and his offices? I don't think so. So if you don't think this is all Democrat stooge, scumbag operatives that's what all of this is democrat scumbags in the fbi democrat scumbags in doj democrat scumbags in the democrat intelligentsia the politicians the media treating one side one way and the other side the other way it's impossible this time
He got called out on the world stage. He's busted. And I'll tell you what was really a problem. If it was this one closet, and I don't know how many documents because they're liars and they're sketchy, and who knows what they've thrown away. You, you don't think they've thrown stuff away? Probably Hunter Biden stuff with all kinds of financial stuff. They're, they're not to be trusted. Hillary Clinton coming out and making speeches on the virtues of handling records properly and how horrible Trump is and all of this when she did what she did. She ran the whole damn thing off the grid and she destroyed documents and got caught and took pickaxes to hard drives, uh, bleach bit to hard drives, pickaxes to uh, other computer uh, hard drives and equipment, didn't turn over information that was requested. And the FBI handled handles it completely differently. Uh, no reasonable prosecutor would ever prosecute. Yeah. Well, why no knock, no knock raids on Hillary Clinton? When she wasn't turning stuff over, when they knew she was destroying evidence. Oh, you wanted those iPhones and and all those computer hard drives. Oh, we 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 just took bleach bit and pickaxes to all that. We we just don't have that anymore. Oh, okay. And the only reason they got certain documents, they had been deleted, but they were able to retrieve them. I was looking for the right word. It came quick. And they were able to do that. Some will never know. These are some of the most dishonest people in American history. And they get to masquerade like it's Halloween and that they're the good guys. And they come after the good guys and make the good guys look like the bad guys. Trump is going to be vindicated again. I don't care what this overly aggressive special counsel does. He can wipe his hiney with his subpoenas and and his case that he's going to try to put on because Joe Biden has a worse problem. A sight unseen, I can say that. Biden has a worse problem because he has no affirmative defense. You know what his defense is. My lawyers told me not to say anything. This came as a surprise to me. Now, do you think there'll be any one-on-one interview where Scott Pelley will uh, side-by-side Uh, Mr. President, this is what you said about classified documents. And he went on and on and on about how irresponsible and reprehensible and no one's ever done this and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Now look what you did. He'll be he'll be Jackie Gleason, Ralph Cramden. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Ed Norton. Who wrote Swanee River? I'm a I'm a I'm a. If you, if you watch the episode, it's fantastic. Ralph Cramden knows the answer to everything. Everything. And then the que- and Ed Norton would always play the beginning of Swanee River. Uh, and, and Ralph gets really just crazed by it. He's just tired of hearing. Da-na-na. And then uh, he says, Norton, why must you always play? But he doesn't say Swanee River. Why must you always play na 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 before you go on to play? And then Norton, in his inimitable way, every animated way, says something along the facts of a baseball pitcher has to warm up before he pitches. I gotta warm up before I play the piano. Na 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 na. And uh, so Ralph is cruising. He's to the last question, and the host says. You have a lot of money. 
You have a lot of money one. He goes, I'm going the whole way. And the whole audience claps. And then the final question for the $100,000 answer, I think was the name of the show. Haven't seen the episode. It's got to be 20, 30 years. But I still, I can't believe I still remember this. And then all of a sudden, a piano player plays the bars, the beginning bars of Swanee River. Ralph Cramden's eyes. He is, he is beside himself it's the norton song and the host asks your time is up who wrote this song and he said swanee river i think and uh ralph goes ed norton no i'm sorry mr cramden stephen foster i think that's even right but uh, look it up somebody check up on me so this is Biden. Biden's Ralph Cramden. I'm so surprised. So so you're surprised. Uh, but guess what? In your surprise state, the documents, the classified documents were still there. And I really want to know. They told us where the first batch of classified documents was in his office at the University of Pennsylvania in a closet totally not secured i mean he should be he should be writing himself up with at least a, a final written warning for his conduct because we know what he thinks of that type of handling i mean trump's now keep in mind trump's were in a locked area in mar-a-lago uh the fbi was there they knew right where it was they said, just just make us feel a little bit better. Just just would you put an extra padlock, put an extra lock on the door. They knew exactly where all of this was. For anywhere from 2013, at least 2016. So we're talking nine, ten years almost, and and maybe some of them a little less, but somewhere between 2013 and 2016, we've got these classified documents that Biden has no business having. Nobody knows where they are. There was nobody saying, hey, this is cool. You keep them there. Uh, would you put an extra lock on that closet? You know, we, we know where they are. Nobody knew except the Biden gang. And it only came out because somebody ratted them out. And whoever you are, you rat. If you're listening to Hurley in the morning, not only do you have great taste in morning talk shows, but I thank you. You've done you've done America a great service. Because to be a serial offender yourself in terms of having classified documents in your possession and trashing your opponent and the immediate past president, and if you say you're running again and you say you are, you already know that he is your opponent now. He's at least an opponent in the Republican primary. So you trash him. But you just say, my lawyers told me not to say anything, and I'm surprised about this. Can you imagine if Trump said that? My lawyers told me to say nothing, and I'm surprised about this. No, I don't think anybody would be accepting that, nor should they. So in case you're just waking up, a second batch of classified documents have been found at a secret, undisclosed, new Biden location. I want to know more. I want to know where they were. 
and uh, where they are now and the fact they won't tell us where they are means it's a problem and probably has something to do with it being at a Biden residence or Hunter's residence. It's it's bad news. It's really bad news. And you don't have to speculate. You don't have to strain your mind because they won't tell us. And there's a reason. Anytime they want to tell you something, they tell you. And when they don't want to tell you, you get this. This is the Town Square, New Jersey Info and Weather Network. And this is Harry Hurley. And, oh, I've been a busy bee. We broke the story about a Philadelphia man. I've worked on it for five days because the Atlantic State Police Department wouldn't release anything about it. And I know why. A Philadelphia man assaulted a woman with a brick on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Read all about it, except for a secret I haven't told yet. Margate, New Jersey, the mayor and one of two commissioners not seeking re-election. We have the story, the first published report anywhere about this. And the Egg Harbor Township Police, they're awesome. They're doing a public event on frauds and scams. Read about that. For gold. From the Townsport, New Jersey Info and Weather Network, I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zarrow. Today's first wave of unsettled weather is here. Starting off your Thursday with some showers, we'll catch a lull with clouds and fog and drizzle around for most of the day. High temperatures pushing into the 50s. A period of steady to heavy rain likely tonight could be some rumbles of thunder, and the wind's going to kick up a little bit. Temperatures in the 50s. Rain wraps up tomorrow morning. We'll fall from the 50s into the 40s tomorrow afternoon. Get weather 24-7 wherever you are. Download our free mobile app today. Hi, Comfort Bob. For years, Comfort Now is early in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. We're investing. Hi, it's Mark Levin. Join me this evening at 6. Now back to Hurley in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM, 1450 AM. South Jersey's talk station. Thank you. Great one. 35 minutes past the hour uh, this morning at 830. December inflation report. I'm keeping happy thoughts because I'm always rooting for my country. You know, the other side, they root when they're not in. They root for things to be bad because they are that bad. See, I want it to be good even when the wrong people get the shot to govern. And it's such a shame when when you know, like I knew how bad Biden was going to be. Look at and, and look, look what's going on if you're paying attention. And if you're not, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you apprised. Biden is already pivoting. It, it's in modern terms. You look at like the Nixon type strategy uh, in the primary. You run to the right. And then in the general election, you run back to the center. Biden is obviously it's so transparent. Even yesterday, uh, I'll tell you, we picked up on an item This is all part of the same thing, so I'm not going afield. We picked up on something even before the national media did. I saw a little tiny blip that a guy named Richard Trumpka Jr. from the whatever they're called, the Product Safety Commission or something like that. And I think that's exactly what it's called. He's a commissioner. And this is how radical they are. They they say these crazy things that we have to look at banning natural gas stoves so i don't know why he's not also talking about natural gas heaters both water and also you know for your climate but just natural gas stoves but then they said don't worry you can keep the one you have but well, well wait a minute 
this stuff isn't made like it used to be. You need a new one like every five, ten years at the most. So what are you talking about? Like this is okay because you can keep the one you have? What if it breaks? What are we going to be, Cuba? Fixing 1960s Mercedes and, and, and that's your car? We'll keep it running. We got a lot of body uh, slop and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll body filler. We'll keep it and we, we can keep it running. You can drive that 1960s car. These people are nuts. So Biden already came out. Oh, no, no, I'm not. A, I'm against. I'm not for eliminating gas stoves. You know why? Take New Jersey. 68% of New Jerseyans either cook or heat their home in hot water with natural gas. Chefs love natural gas over electric. It cooks more evenly. Restaurants, hotels, you name it. The, the electric bill would be beyond you, you what they what they would be doing is putting restaurants out of business again they wouldn't even be able to afford the electric bill it would be so expensive it doesn't get as hot it doesn't get hot evenly it's just not it's not the best i'm not putting anybody down i mean to be totally honest with you we always had natural gas when we moved to the ponderosa i guess it was like 28 years ago the natural gas had not yet been brought to Skullville EHT. But we knew from the time we were moving in, even when we were talking about buying the house, that it would be there within a relatively short period of time. We didn't even have sewer when we first moved in. We had septic, which I did not like. Uh, but we knew we were going to have sewer a short time uh, thereafter. So I think within one or two years, we had both sewer and we had natural gas now, I have a natural gas hookup behind the stove, but we bought a new electric range. Number one, we had been using the electric. We have solar, so our electric is free because uh, I have no electric bill. And so we stayed with that. But absent that, we would have natural gas. Natural gas, all cooks want it, residential, amateur, professional. You want the natural gas. For baking, for stovetop, for cooking, for all of it. So these idiots are talking about banning natural stoves. So I write this story really early. Hey, New Jersey, are you ready for a possible federal ban on gas stoves? Question mark. The story has gone. We're not allowed to reveal our analytics. It's proprietary town square information. But all I can tell you is I get it. The story has been going bananas for the past two days. Beyond my wildest dreams when I hit the publish button. But this is what they're up to. Now, why did I bring that up? Because Joe Biden is already, he's already pivoting to the center or to the right. Look how he governed. Don't forget. I don't care what he says for the next two years. Don't forget what he's actually done. Five trillion plus in new spending. A horrifically bad president. That is governed from the crazy left. Just look at his um, six-point plan with the uh, the three amigos yesterday or the day before. It's all woke and crazy. So I guess on that front, the world front, he still hasn't gotten the memo yet that he's pivoting to the right. But in one day, he did come out and say, I guess it was Corinne Jean-Pierre, that the president does not support banning gas stoves, natural gas stoves. Now, I promise you two years ago, even a year ago, he'd be all on board. Oh, it's dangerous. Uh, it, you know, all this stuff. 
you know, they, they, what they're trying to do, they're trying to take everything that we want, everything that we like, and force us to their woke green climate agenda. Do they understand that if you take now every stove in America, in every household, every apartment, every school, every restaurant, every hotel, and everybody would be using electric? In California, they told people you couldn't charge your electric cars for periods of time. These fools don't seem to be able to comprehend that. Look, I'm cool with um, hybrids and electric cars. I know a bunch of people that have them. I've driven in them. They kind of go off like a like a golf cart. Like like I can't explain it, but you you don't even hear it. It's like like it's crazy, but I love it. I like solar. Uh, by the way, are we going to investigate like these whales are popping up like chiclets? Uh, is that, you know, windmills and stuff out there? Hydro and all that stuff? Let's look at what's happening, kids. But they're they're always on an agenda that suits, that fits their narrative, not what really is going on. Like if Republicans wanted windmills out in the ocean and all of a sudden birds and 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 whales are getting smashed and and washing up and all this. They would be trashing Republicans as not being good stewards of the economy. But, of course, they're great stewards of the economy, whatever they do. But this just in, we are nowhere near ready to be able to go all electric. And are they forgetting how much of the electricity is made with fossil fuels? It's a very dirty process, and he's buying dirty oil from around the world instead of refining our cleaner oil here at home. Everything they do is the opposite of what should be done. It's 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 crazy, but it's true. We should have finished the Keystone XL pipeline. He killed it day one. We should have kept the remain in Mexico and the Trump doctrines in place involving illegal immigration. He killed them day one. The government had to release a report by law, and we shared it with you last week, how many billions of dollars and how many incredible jobs were lost and they had to admit it because Joe Biden killed the Keystone XL pipeline. I'll tell you, I don't want the job, but I would love to run against Joe Biden. I, I could I could just emasculate. I could ruin him. I could ruin him in one debate. And who's ever running better be up for it. Because his record is terrible and it needs to be taken down. And show the American people, hey, did you, did you like it when it was like two dollars a gallon to fill up, and and everybody had a job, and and the the uh, salaries were higher than they'd ever been, and inflation was zero, uh, or or do you like this? Do you like what's going on now? You know, at the rate we're going, if they continue to win and have power, that's why we have to get the White House back. There's too much power in the executive branch with bad people. It doesn't matter, even if you had the House and the Senate, they have responsibilities where they can make these terrible decisions the trend that we are on the trajectory better said that we're on is so incredibly dangerous for the quality of life of every american they're making ordinary things that you just have known and loved uh, unaffordable unattainable 
in their place, radical things you want nothing to do with, their education agenda, CRT, all this woke, broke jokeness. It's just crazy. We say it all the time. Elections have consequences. And I am telling you, I'm a distance runner, but I'm going to be running every day like it's the 100 meters. I'm running a sprint every day through the finish line for the next year and then the next two years. Because And then the year after that is going to be for governor of New Jersey, and that's huge because we've got to get Jack Chitterelli in there. Got it? It's got to happen. And I, I strongly believe that it will. Everything tells me that that's going to happen. It'll be two terms of a Democrat. The state will be tired of the crazy things that have been going on, and Jack will win. But before that, Vince has to win, and Michael has to win, and... Uh, Edward has to win. That's districts one, two, and three senators. They've got to win. And then we have to win county. We have to win local. If you look at the record of Don Purdy, and we're going to be doing a piece on this when I get back. I'm going to be away just for a few days. When I get back, we're going to do a piece, and maybe I'll even do it while I'm away. We're going to do a piece on Don Purdy and the electoral successes, even when you look at what happened in Absecon. With Councilman Light switching from Democrat to Republican and now Absecon Republican majority for the first time, 4-3 in years and years and years. I mean, Pete Elko, give him credit. Uh, very nice man. Ter- terrible in certain respects, but and I don't mean that personal or his character. Really good guy. Terrible policies. Terrible philosophy of governance. But he was extremely popular and successful. Popular teacher. I mean uh, – amazingly popular teacher. I know that uh, from my own children. I mean, very, very popular. Uh, But he, you got to give it, I always give credit where credit's due. Uh, Very successful for many, many years. Just winning and winning and winning and winning is contagious. Then the council people would win. They've had control of that. I mean, there's been, just since Purdy has been the chairman of the Atlanta County Republican Party. There's been a lot of good news. We'll be back. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a little bit. We have open forum for the first half, so let's be ready. Don't don't lay back waiting for the second half of next hour. Your chance to get in is going to be in the first half because I promised that we were going to do an important interview that will be taking place at 735 Christine Knight is the co-founder and program director of HR Recovery Initiative. And there's an event that's going to be taking place on Monday, January 23rd regarding human trafficking and an approach to uplift survivor communities uh, involving the same. And if you think this is not a problem in this area, you would be mistaken. We have human trafficking right here in the greater Atlantic City area. It's a very It's a significant problem. And, of course, with all this illegal stuff that's been going on, you figure 5 million-plus illegals, and if you even said 1% are bad people, I mean, you're talking about tens of thousands of human traffickers, drug traffickers, MS-13, terrorists. It's it's what this administration has allowed is, is beyond words to me. And if we could actually see it, you know, there's a hotel in New York right now called the Row Hotel, R-O-W. Illegals are trashing this hotel. 
illegals get $500 a night rooms, wonderful food that they're throwing away. In its stead, they have hot plates, dangerous hot plates in their room, and they're cooking the food they want, throwing away great food. I don't know why we're just not saying, hey, what do you want? And just give them that. But they're throwing the good food away. There's 14 hotels in New York City where illegals are getting $500 and more per night, free rooms, free food and beverage. And yet we have homeless Americans and homeless veterans living on the street. What the hell is going on in our country and how can we tolerate this? Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. WPG Talk Radio 95.5, South Jersey's number one talk station. All because of you, we know it. Thank you. Eight minutes before the top of the hour, your open forum for today is as follows. The second half of the upcoming hour, so just a few minutes away, so get in early. And then the second half of the nine o'clock hour after we visit with Dr. C. John Zarek at eight, you'll fill in all the rest. Pressure is building on Merrick Garland to appoint a special counsel. I honestly... I don't know how he can get away with not appointing one. If they didn't appoint one for President Trump, then I would say it's never going to happen. It can't happen. Now, they are this dishonest. They, they may just not do it. But this is the sitting president. There is a conflict here. There needs to be a special counsel. And now you have a widening scandal where there are multiple locations where Joe Biden took classified documents, which now is illegal. And now they want to make it criminal. See, if they would listen to me, they should have just made it all administrative like it always was. And no harm, no foul. Just turn them back in. But you can't treat Trump this way and then treat Biden that way. It's not going to happen. And here's what you better get ready for. And Democrats, sorry, but um, you're not going to like it. Partisan Democrats, fair minded Democrats. You'll just know it's fair. The new House Oversight Committee, Chairman uh, James Comer, is demanding the Treasury Department release all suspicious activity reports generated by banks linked to Joe, Bud, Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Hunter Biden, and there are hundreds of these suspicious transaction reports. Now, you know they're going to be criminal and they're not going to turn them over and maybe they'll say, oh, there's an investigation, so we can't. They're going to do everything they can to be crooked, but the requests are being made. And I want to make sure that I share this with you because I want to give you an idea of how sick these um, Democrat politicians are in the House of Representatives. 210 Democrats voted yesterday against a bill that would require medical care for babies that are born alive after an abortion attempt. See, Barack Obama voted for the Born Alive Act. Uh, It's disgusting. That if a baby was born alive, Obama voted you could kill the baby again. This is how sick these people are. How's that not murder? How can that not be murder? If you want to say at some point you don't believe that it's human life and you even when there's a heartbeat, you don't believe it's it's a human. Yet if, if somebody killed a pregnant woman, you'd want them charged with two murders. But then you're such hypocrites and liars that that it's that it's not a life when you don't want it to be a life. I'm so sick of you all. That operate under this philosophy. You can't even keep your you can't even keep it straight. You're so messed up with this. How do 210 Democrats vote against a bill that would require medical care for babies born alive after an abortion attempt? Look, if you're for abortion, 
all right, you know, I'm I'm not with you on that, except with exceptions, uh, life, health of the mother, and rape, incest. And there are people mad at me that that I have those exceptions. But born alive, abortion survivors protection act. How can you vote against that? This says that the abortion failed. Like, look, they they I don't want to get into what they do. They suck the baby out of there. They they jam something into the skull, collapse the skull, suck the brain out, and and take out a lifeless human. If for some miraculous reason a baby survives, and that baby is outside the womb in in the you know in 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 our world, you've got to make an attempt. That shouldn't even need to be a bill. That that should just be the code of of human existence, of decency. But they voted against it. How sick is that? And a couple voted present. You suck too. How can you how can that be? Now, look, I understand the consequences. If this passed and it won't go it won't pass the Senate and Biden wouldn't sign it. But I want Republicans to keep voting every damn day and vote on things that are right and then show a track record when it comes time for renewal, for your rehire and say, look, they voted. They want to kill babies when they're alive outside. They want to kill them. Violations of this law would be fines, imprisonment up to five years, maybe both. And how the Democrats vote against this is is just impossible for me to comprehend. Unbelievable. Hey, just to give you an idea how something that we said yesterday, this was even before John Bolton said it and even before Alan Dershowitz said it. You can't charge Trump over these documents now. John Bolton is, in case you don't know, it's probably one of the quietest announcements for president in American history. John Bolton announced his candidacy for president of the United States. Now, he was a former ambassador um, to the United Nations. I think he was acting because they would not confirm him. And he held a position with President Trump as well. Uh, He declared his candidacy and almost I think no one knows it, but he did. I'm curious to know if that's the first time you have heard word of that. But he's very anti-Trump now. And he said, that it's close, quote, to impossible to prosecute President Trump over documents now. Quote, Trump may be the luckiest person to hold classified documents unlawfully in the entire history of the United States, said Bolton, who has been sparring with Trump since he left as the former president's national security advisor in 2019. Quote, in affecting the Justice Department's decision whether to prosecute Trump politically, this seems to me to make it close to impossible. It doesn't matter what the facts are on Trump now. In the public mind, people will say Biden had classified documents. Trump had classified documents. You have to treat them exactly alike. And guess what? That's what I say. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, Dershowitz has a great line about fairness, how for Trump to be prosecuted, he has to cross the Hillary Clinton uh, Sandy Burglar, and now Joe Biden threshold. And how do you do that? Open forum 609 
407-1450 for the next 25 minutes, meaning right after the break until the bottom of the hour. I hope you'll join us. It is the Hurley in the Morning program. 609-407-1450. Call me now. WPGG Atlantic City, WENJHD3 Millville, a town square media station. Everything you need to know in six minutes starts now. From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hey, thank you. It's five minutes past the hour. Since we have a bonus minute, I'm going to ask our next caller. Caller, which is you, your mic is on, but just give me a second. Uh, A listener asked me during the break a very good question. Harry, how do Democrats keep winning certain upper-level elections? And, And I would say in particular that that is the case. Like, how did Biden win? Well, that was that was easy to explain. And I did. I sent the uh, listener an email back. Uh, Pandemic election, new voting methods that we never had before that Democrats completely exploited ballot harvesting, early voting, vote by mail uh, and Republicans just haven't gotten with it. As I always do, I give credit where credit is due. It's diabolical. They've changed the voting methodologies so much that we now have weeks and weeks and weeks of voting and Republicans are in sort of a stodgy old mindset that Election Day is first Tuesday in November, unless the first Tuesday is the first and then it's the second Tuesday in November. That's a loser. I've been saying it now for multiple election cycles that we win. If this if if things were fair, we would win, but things are not fair. If we had one voting day and if you were either too sick or at school or away out of the country and the few ways that you could vote by absentee ballot in the past, we would win. President Trump only lost even in this crooked election of 2020. And I don't care what anybody says. It was crooked. You had ballot harvesting. You had all kinds of things going on. They have video of people dropping off incredible numbers of ballots in these drop boxes. I mean, give me a break. Uh, it was crooked as hell. The, the problem is they argued the wrong things and, and then they, they come out with a sort of a perception that the election was fair. That's why the Democrats really go overboard and say how fair, oh, the cleanest election, so fair, never, never a more fair election ever than 2020. But of course, every other election is unfair. Unless they win, then it's perfect every time. So we have to get in the game of not losing before election day even happens. That means getting in the ballot harvesting business, getting into vote by mail, early voting, and then crushing it on general election day. And then we will win. Our ideas are better. America doesn't want babies getting killed after they're born. I can promise you that. Pelosi and Schumer are flipping out. They've melt. They did a meltdown over this. But that's not what America wants. America wants two dollar a gallon gas. They don't want five dollar a gallon gas. They don't want these policies of of unlimited, massive illegal immigration invasion that we have. Then you say, oh, but how did they win? I just told you how they won. We just have to do better in the run up to Election Day and we will win. Thank you for the opportunity to share that. You're on the air. Go right ahead. 
Good morning, Mr. Harry. It's Mike from Ocean County. How are you? Good, Mike. I can hear the angst in your voice. It's it's uh, kicking up more and more each day, it seems like. And yeah, I'm going to call it not angst because I have no angst. I have passion. Okay, we can call it passion. Yeah. I can hear your passion. Thank you. Now, again, I would like to redirect it a little bit towards the real enemy. And the real enemy is on the right and the left. And to reference JFK... He called it a monolithic conspiracy. And it's to me, it's good versus evil. People that are evil are representing the globalists, and they represent people like the World Economic Forum and the Council of Foreign Relations, and people like Mr. Bolton that represent the uh, military-industrial complex. Yeah, the World Health Organization. You could go on and on. Yes, sir. So what's happening now is they're revving it up. They're close. They think they can overtake the country and the world. And the United States is the one that has to fall. If we don't fall, they don't get it. And the sooner we realize this and wake up and fight the right fight, we can win. Well, remember, though, to fight the fight, you have to win the elections. I have no problem with that either. And to win the elections, you got to be in the game. And if you're in a game with a slingshot and they're playing with, um, you know, I don't even know what to say, global thermal nuclear, you know, weaponry, uh, we're going to continue to lose the national election. See, Jeff Andrew can win his district and more Republicans won their district than Democrats. You can do that in the more local side. Winning statewide and winning national elections requires Republicans to change the game. So what you're focusing on, I'm not discounting, but that comes after winning. I'm focusing on what has to be done to win, because to talk about what you're talking about, if the other side keeps winning, isn't going to change anything, except they're going to keep gaining ground in all the areas that you're talking about. And that's why they do indoctrination in our schools. They know I got to give them credit, Mike. They know exactly what they're doing, and let's give them credit. They've had in, they've had amazing success over the past several years putting their radicalism. You know, they do these spending measures that are called nice names that inside are hideous, that have all kinds of regressive counterculture and wild things. But nobody finds out until it's too late. They've already changed the country by then. So I'm sticking to my, my lane. I'm not – I'm not absent what you're talking about, but that comes with winning. That stuff doesn't happen because when we win and the philosophy of governance is not what it is right now, the stuff you're talking about isn't going to happen. But but keep losing, keep losing. Like let Joe Biden win again and then everything you're talking about and more will come true. If you win with rhinos – you still aren't going to change a thing. Well, I get that rhino thing, and I'm not for that either. I want good conservatives to win, but I want electable people to win. You know, I mean, for example, are you a big Lauren Boebert fan? Um, I keep her on a short leash. Okay, so that's we'll give that a qualified yes. Uh, I was a quasi-fan. Now I think she's pretty kooked, kooked out. She won by like 100 votes. She very well may lose the next time she runs. 
And that's how we keep losing when we nominate people that can't win. So that doesn't mean you need to nominate a rhino, but we have to nominate electable candidates. I mean, it's so frustrating. I've been doing this so long that I remember O'Donnell in Delaware who said she was a witch. I said, you're done. And then you had bad candidate picked in Nevada. You're done. Uh, Tarkanian. And there was even one other one. I think Linda McMahon could have won. They picked the only one that couldn't win. We we should have been in the majority a couple of times that we weren't, including right now. Uh, now, some of that I'm not going to um, assign to bad candidates. Mitch McConnell was horrific. He did not fund, for example, Blake Masters properly and some of the other candidates that easily could have won. We should be in the majority in the in the Senate right now. So part of that is not candidate selection, but we have to be really sharp with candidate selection going forward because some of these races and I like Oz a lot. But how did this Fetterman win? How does that zombie win in Pennsylvania? How is that even possible? This guy's wife is the senator. I got to run, Mike. A lot of work to do, but keep in touch with me. I know, I know where your your heart is. I know where you're coming from, but I, I'm I'm sticking in my lane, and my lane is hyper focused on not getting screwed with the voter regulations in particular cities, counties, states. Uh, not letting them uh, win with the Soros project that puts all their people in charge of all this stuff. Let, let's put it this way. If Katie Hobbs is not the Secretary of State, a total Soros socialist wackadoo, she she now wants forty million to give illegals full scholarships for college. How are we giving illegals that shouldn't even be here free four year college? You've got to be kidding me! Over people that are here, Americans legally, it's it's insane. Uh, so she changed the rules. They did a lot of really sneaky things. And she wins by 17,000 votes in any normal situation prior to this. Carrie Lake would be governor of Arizona. The border uh, trailers that were put up double high blocking the openings would be in effect. Day one, Katie Hobbs takes them out. I mean, we, we, we just watch this just happen in multiple states around the country in these key positions. We've got to win boards of election, secretary of state, board of canvassers, attorneys general. We've got to win these positions. I saw it. Nobody would listen to me. I said, oh, my God. I said, Trump can lose here. Ah, oh, he can't lose. This. Biden's a zombie. He can't lose this guy. The guy can't even speak. I said, no, no, he can lose because look at Pennsylvania. They've completely changed how you vote. They completely changed how you voted in about five key battleground states or more. And they all went the Democrat way by just a little bit, as though they know exactly how many votes they need to win. And they seem to get them. That's why you see in these it's every single election cycle. You will see these very close key battleground states where the same areas, Atlanta uh, and other states around the country, they hold out until the end. It's like, hey, what are they doing? Oh, they're just holding out until they know how many votes we need. This is what they're doing. It's right under our nose, right before our eyes. And if we didn't get skunked in all this early voting and the um, the ballot harvesting and vote by mail and all of this, 
we would have won in all those areas. Trump would still be president. There'd be a majority in the Senate, majority in the House. Instead, we're watching the Democrats win the election. Jack Cittarelli got beat before Election Day. He won beautifully on Election Day, comfortably. He lost it by vote by mail in particular and early voting by a bit. We just have to stop doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting a different result because I know it's worn out. But that is the uh, that is the definition of insanity. And that's what we're doing right now. It's not going to work. Turn up your radio. Here's the Sean Hannity Morning Minute. Uh, AOC is getting brutalized all over social media. Uh, after she mocked uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson, who I saw last night, for tweeting that he would never give up his gas stove. Well, I'm not giving up my gas stove either. I'm not doing it because then I won't be able to cook the way I need to cook. Did you know that the ongoing exposure to NO2 from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance? So she's saying a gas stove is pretty much linked to brain damage. She's saying it to a medical doctor, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. And Jackson vowed he'd rather die than give up his gas stove. I'm never giving up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come from my stove, they can pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Come and take it. I'm with him. Check out the Sean Hannity Radio Show later today, right here. You know, tragically, last year had a record number of school shooting victims. Now, in active shooter incidents, schools go on lockdown and locked doors impede law enforcement's access. Now, with Knox, both school officials and law enforcement have access to key cards, keys, floor plans, and getting them into those locked doors. Get Knox. Just go to schoolentry.com. That's their website, schoolentry, one word, dot com. Schoolentry.com. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack, but not with ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash gold. Hi, it's Markley and Van Camp. Join us later today at 1. Now back to Hurley in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM, South Jersey's Talk Station. Hey, thank you. Welcome back. 22 minutes past the hour to your calls in just a moment. Joining us right after the bottom of the hour break is Christine Knight, and we'll be talking about an important event that's going to be uh, taking place in the very near future uh, that will be taking place on... Monday, January 23rd, a discussion and an event about human trafficking. Uh, so it's very, very serious business. Christine Knight is the co-founder and program director of HR Recovery Initiative. Uh, looking forward to that. Then John Zarek, then my very good friend. He's awesome. Doctor, Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, who heads up all the devicing programs at Deborah Hart Lung Center. And we have a very uh, important topic that Dr. C will present Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, uh, first half, atrial fibrillation. And to your calls in just a moment after I tell you about Perfect Basement, we've been seeing the damage that storms can cause if rain leads to water in your basement or your crawl space. Call my friends at Perfect Basement, 
for a completely free, no-pressure inspection for waterproofing, mold remediation, and foundation repair. Perfect Basement is family-owned, based right here in South Jersey, licensed and certified and accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Ask about discounts. Ask about special services for Realtors. Visit PerfectBasement.com. That's PerfectBasement.com. Tell Brian that Harry Hurley sent you. Welcome to Hurley in the Morning. You're on the air. Caller, are you there? Let's try it again. Caller, are you there now? I cannot hear you. You are there. Call me back. I don't know why we're not hearing you. Welcome to Hurley in the Morning. You're on the air. Have the phones betrayed me? Caller, can you hear me? I hear you. All right, I'll put you back on hold. We'll come back in a moment. I do hear you in the background. So you've stepped away from the phone. We'll uh, we'll give you your spot and we'll come back to it. 609-407-1450. I know the phones are beautiful. I had a great conversation with guest listener Mike, crystal clear, working beautiful. Welcome to Hurley in the Morning. You're on the air. Let's see if the third time is the charm. No, the phones are beautiful. I had a great conversation with... All right, do me a favor. Uh, turn your radio down, and then we'll come to you. This is uh, this is a lesson. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a lesson in how not to do live and local talk radio. Do not take any notes from this. It would be a, a horrible, horrible test result. Uh, when you're a caller, you turn down the radio because there's a seven-second delay and all of that. Caller, are you there now? Hello? Hello? Yes, I hear you now. Hello? Hello. How are you, Harry? I'm hello. well. Yeah, hello. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that I agree totally with what, everything you said about uh, we have to change our strategy about voting because we'll never win. Just like you say, I've been saying it for a long time, too, and I'm sure a lot of other people agree with that. But So how about we- this? With all these hundreds of millions of of dollars, which really winds up being billions of dollars for these big elections, why don't they start spending smart money instead of being stupid then? You get it. I can hear it. You know I get it. I get it really um, loud and clear, but they keep doing the same thing. Let me give you an example. Biden didn't have to go campaign anywhere. This guy, and I know there was a pandemic going on and he exploited that, But I'm telling you, Fetterman didn't go anywhere. They now have a strategy. They do not do the retail type stuff. They're not going to bite into an ear of corn in Iowa. They're not going anywhere. They win their election through their analytics, through their chicanery, uh, through their programs to ballot harvest. Has anybody figured out that Democrats don't engage? Katie Hobbs wouldn't debate. She blamed Carrie Lake for the reason she couldn't debate. They're not debating, they're not campaigning, and yet they're winning. So am I lying when I say that there's something up with how they're doing it? They're doing it another way. Right, and that's, you know, how they're doing it. They're they're keeping these people, just like you said, they don't campaign them. They keep them under a rock until they get all of the early votings in. They know how many votes they need. And then they have to eventually they have to bring them out. So they wait to the end to bring them out. So no matter what they look like on stage, like the zombie Fetterman, you know, it doesn't matter. 
And, and in his case, he didn't debate until more than half the state had already voted. Had he had he debated early before voting. But keep in mind, they're voting for so many weeks early that they're, they're, they're getting votes in before anybody even knows basically who the candidate is or what they stand for. Or is there a, um, a problem with the candidate in, in any way? Uh, so, yeah, they 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 have figured it out. It started with messenger absentee ballots. Craig Calloway, very successful here at the local level. But just put that on steroids times infinity with what they're doing nationally and in some of the statewide races and larger areas uh, where elections take place in a big district or things where they can manipulate. It's harder to do in a small town because about half the town comes out and they vote. And they vote their Margate City Commission. We wrote a story about that this morning. It's harder to do. That's why you see Republicans doing very well. I think Republicans uh, have a majority in 20 of 23 municipalities in Atlanta County. You can do it at the local level, the, the more, if you will, old-fashioned way. You can't do it at the national level this way anymore. You know, no, you can't. No. You're going to no, lose. They changed, they, changed, they, changed the whole, they changed the whole thing. And now we have to... There's only one way to beat them at their own game. Yeah, and and really, it's just hey, there's a lot of smart people out there. Uh, how do you do ballot harvesting? Now, I'm not saying do anything illegal. Uh, that's you know that's the other side that, that that skirts the lines like that. Do everything legal, just like make your make win at these board of elections, boards of canvassers, and all these secretary of state and positions that have authority, attorneys general, so that you can you have rules that not only uh, make it easier to vote but harder to cheat and learn from the people that know how to do the ballot harvesting and that have mastered early voting and voting by mail because the thing is there there, i guarantee you there were a lot of voters out there that were very persuadable and would have voted against biden and this whole socialist democrat agenda in the last couple of elections but the democrats are getting their vote out in the vote by mail and in the early voting and Republicans are not doing as good a job. The votes are there. Right. I, I, you see every poll, the philosophy of governance is very much against these socialist Democrats, but they're still winning in many instances. Not all, but in many instances. I mean, a good encouraging thing was that Republicans did win the national vote, uh, if you break down the House of Representatives and how everybody voted, by like several million to five million votes. That's encouraging. But that what happens is several years go by and memories fall, you know, and fade. And then we see the same thing, rinse and repeat, happen all over again. Then we talk it through and say, look, we can't let this happen again. And then everybody forgets again and that it happens all over again. Oh, we can't let this happen again. And it's a nightmare. It's like uh, like an episode of Quantum Leap or something. It's just crazy. I'm waiting for Ziggy. To decide, you know, if we can win an election, it's just it's it's wild stuff. Uh, no excuse this time, though, in the 24 election, which will be the whole House and 35 seats in the Senate. If that happens again, then the old expression, you get the government you deserve, uh, will reign supreme. And we basically if they win one more time, we lose the country. So we better treat it like that. I got to run. We have a great guest that's coming by. I enjoyed your call. 31 minutes past the hour. We'll be back in just a little bit. It is the Hurley in the Morning program. 
This is the Town Square, New Jersey Info and Weather Network. And this is Harry Hurley at 31 minutes past the hour. Three stories you can follow right now on the WPG Talk Radio 95.5 app. A Philadelphia man and a story that we broke. I spent five days trying to break this story because they just wouldn't release the information. But I got it. Uh, a Philly man assaulted a woman with a brick in a T-shirt like a swinging sling on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Just atrocious. And there's a reason they kept this a secret. Margate, New Jersey, mayor and commissioner, two of three, not seeking re-election. And the Egg Harbor Township Police. Dot com. From the Townsquare, New Jersey Info and Weather Network, I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zaro. Most of today will be just eh. With some showers this morning, then clouds and drizzle and fog around. High temperatures will push into the mild 50s. Rain chances really pick up into tonight. We'll see a period of steady rain with some rumbles of thunder and some wind gusts. Temperatures in the 50s. Rain will wrap up tomorrow morning. Then we'll see some late day clearing and temperatures fall 50s into the 40s by sunset tomorrow. Get weather 24-7 wherever you are. Download our free mobile app today. If you have a... Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. It's early in the morning, anytime, anywhere, on the WPG Talk Radio app. Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Ah, we're starting early, which makes me happy. 30 seconds before 35 minutes past the hour. And right on time is our guest. I want to thank Karen for introducing me to Christine Knight. I don't know if Christine knows this or not, but human trafficking is something that we talk about every single week on this program. And it's just for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because it's so unpleasant. It's so unspeakable. I I don't know why it's ignored. But we have and, and I think a lot of people think that just little babies and little children, little toddlers get scooped up and kidnapped adults i mean you'd be amazed at some of the stories that i know christine knows about and stories that i've read about full-fledged adults that get scooped up and the next thing they know they are literally human body trafficked whatever you want to call it it's it's unimaginable but it is happening and there is a fast approaching event that will be held on Monday, January 23rd, about local efforts, because you think about this as though this is just a national problem, an international problem. Uh, it's a local problem. You just don't hear about it a lot. There's human trafficking out of the greater Atlantic City area as we speak. And most people are oh, they, they just can't even believe it. That doesn't happen. How did they pick a pick up a, a human, a big grown up and just take them? Uh, it, it's it's for a lot of reasons that Christine knows a lot more about this than I. Co-founder and program director of HR Recovery Initiative. Christine, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the program. Uh, do you take exception with any of my comments uh, about trafficking? And, and I know they're incomplete, but just some thoughts that I had as we were welcoming you. Yeah, and thank you so much, Harry, um, for welcoming, welcoming me onto your program and to talk about the subject. Yes, no, I agree with a lot of what you had to say, and it is very, it's a very difficult topic to, to talk about. It's uncomfortable, you know, thinking about some of the things that, you know, these victims and survivors have had to go through and endure. It's just not a pleasant subject, but yeah, you know, um, it's people like you and, uh, and myself and my colleagues that, you know, bring it to the forefront. And that's really what we wanted to do here uh, was to present some survivors so that they could share their stories, so that we could kind of bring it to a real life 
um, example for people to to really understand exactly how this does happen. And you know, I the only exception maybe I might have had to your comments, which I again I'm so grateful and so thankful that you are talking about the topic, um, is that it's not always forced. You know, it it's a it's Good a comment. psychological manipulation. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, you could you could, I mean Patty Hearst, the Manisa Liberation Army, uh, willing. You know, you can actually. Uh, be indoctrinated or brainwashed, whatever you want to call it, you could easily go into a circumstance uh, willingly at first. Uh, I think it would ultimately turn out to be something you, you would quickly regret. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, and it's not long before you're in it and then you realize that it's not what you thought. Yeah. And then, you know, the the difference between you know trafficking and those and those other situations that you mentioned you know is the exploit is the exploitation portion of it you know is where the traffickers will you know make money from you know from this process and so that's where it's so much more difficult to get out you know and get away it's it's a billion dollar industry in in this in this country and internationally and uh that's why it's so yeah you become the property of of someone or an entity that is making money off of you. Correct. Yeah, you are a money, yes. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, Christine, uh, because I want people to come to the event. I want them to know about the event. What on Monday, January 23rd is going to be happening? Okay. So um, so first and foremost, we have our two keynote speakers, uh, Ashante Taylor-Cox, who's the founder and executive director of You Are More Than, Inc. And uh, she's wonderful. She's uh, going to share her her experience, her lived experience about uh, her victimization and 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 her survivorhood, you know, and how she was able to exit and you know and and find a life, you know, um, a, a quality of living, you know, post trafficking. And then also, um, we're going to have uh, our second keynote speaker is going to be Christian Eduardo, and he's a survivor and lead human trafficking consultant for Shibana Pal Consulting. And so he's going to share his story, theme, you know post-trafficking, what is it like to exit? What's the healing journey like? You know, what did they have to endure? And the reason why we wanted to bring these two speakers, you know, to the table was to allow people to understand the the many different components that come to, that have to come together for a survivor to exit trafficking. You know, we all have to work together. And when I say it takes a village, it takes it to a whole nother level of understanding that it takes a village you know all the stakeholders all the law enforcement everybody has to come together it's a collaborative effort you know and we just and and also too strength you know strength and endurance you know of these survivors and these victims you know whatever we can bring to the table to help them do that is it accurate to say christine to get out once you're in whether you were willing in the beginning whether it's under false pretenses or whatever if you were willing in the beginning or if you were just abducted and brought into you know into that world is it true that in order to get away from it you have to escape it's not like it's like hey i i um changed my mind i'd like to leave now doesn't work like that does it well you know i I don't want to speak for any survivors you know um but i i will say everyone i will say this harry that every survivor every victim and every survivor story is completely unique, you know, where they came from, how they were coerced, how they were brought into it, and, you know, what happened during it, and then what happened post, how they got out, how they exited, if they exited, you know, and, um, 
you know, did they receive services after they exited? Did they recover? Did they talk about it? Did they acknowledge it? You know, some people may have gone through this and, and never even recognized it. You know, their family, friends, their family members and friends may never have even yeah. known that they were in. in or, yeah, life. they come back and suffer in silence. What is your um, opinion relative to are there enough programs for people that want to get out of that trafficking and 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 re- whatever repatriate whatever you want to call it uh come back into society are there enough programs enough helpers that the person can have a soft landing well and again that's another purpose for this recognition breakfast is to you know bring everybody to the table you know youth uh college students business, business owners community members professionals just to understand how you know how difficult it is for a survivor to get up and out. And, you know, we want to kind of raise their awareness so that they can gain some interest in working with some of the few um, programs that are available right now and and build that team, you know, build that network. You know, the trafficking network is formidable. (laughs) It's huge, you know, and so we are, but, you know, but we're coming together and, you know, we're collaborating and we want to, you know, build a strong team, build a strong network. And, uh, you know, for these victims and survivors to to come to, just like you said, Christine, follow up question, for example, and and this is just a discussion. It's not a not an inquisition or anything. But if you're somebody that wants to get out, is there somewhere that you can call and say, I got I have to get out of here. I have nowhere to go. Can you help me? I I would think that part of maybe people even staying in in a situation that they they want to exit from would be they don't have anywhere to go. In some cases. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so we're so, we're so blessed at this point in time, you know, to have a few hotlines available to victims in New Jersey. You know, we do have the National Human Trafficking Hotline. We have the Covenant House Hotline. We have the the state uh, state police hotline. And so, you know, there are places that they can reach out to. They can reach out to the individual programs themselves, you know, maybe someone they know, uh, police, law enforcement uh, are so much, you know, better trained these days. I mean, it's just everybody is ready to respond. They know what to do. And, you know, we're working towards, you know, creating that that better network. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we always encourage the national, you know, uh, victims and, and survivors and family members, community members to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. You know, they're the, uh, the first national hotline, you know, to be formed and they still exist today and, and one of the biggest probably data collection efforts to date. And, uh, you know, they, when a, when a, a victim calls in, you know, they, um, they're, they're given a number. And so no matter where they go, if they're, you know, if they're transported to another state, they can call in and they're still identified as same. They don't have to tell their story all over again. Mm. And so it's a great resource for victims. And so, um, and then they in turn connect to where the, where the victim is, you know, if they're say in Georgia or they're in New Jersey, Hey, this is where you go. And as providers, we're in that network, you know, they, they know to, they know who to call when a victim calls in, no matter where they are. So and important. so we always, you know, encourage, yep. So all three of those hotlines are, are great. Um, and, and, you know, there's, and that wasn't always the case, Harry, you know, it's now, you know, I started this work back in 2010. It wasn't like that. You know, um, you know, there was no awareness. People really didn't know. They, again, didn't want to talk about it. But it's different now. It's changing. And so we hope that, you know, people will come out on the 23rd um, and and join us and, and listen to these survivors share their stories and watch some of these professionals get recognized for the great work that they've done in the field so far. And, you know, just spark some interest to get involved. 
And you, we're right on the same wavelength because for people to come out on Monday, January 23rd for the event, tell us, Christine, and those just joining our coverage, Christine Knight is our guest, co-founder and program director of the HR Recovery Initiative. And we are talking about human trafficking and an approach to help uplift, uplift survivors and survivor communities. So it's really very, very profound, important work. And, and I have much respect, Christine, for you and your colleagues. Monday, Jan- January 23rd, what time and where will this be taking place? It's at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Uh, doors registration starts at 8.30 and the event is from 9 to 12. A.M. registration and then early part of the day for the event, 8.30 a.m. registration. Yes. Yeah, Monday morning, 9 to 12. I didn't think anybody believed that it was going to get done at midnight at night, but I just want to make sure that we don't uh, unwittingly... 9 a.m. to 12. Yeah, yeah. 9 a.m. to 12. Got it. And in terms of if someone can't make it to the event, are you doing anything digital? Maybe somebody can't be there. Uh, Will there be a digital presence for this where you could sign on, whatever, Zoom or whatever, or maybe later catch up on it? I know you want people to come out. But I want to make sure if there's any type of other way to attend, if it, I didn't want to leave that unmentioned just in case. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful you said that. So thank you so much, Harry. The, there is a virtual link. So you would have to register in order to get the link uh, and you can watch it live. Um, so we will have some assistance from Hard, the Hard Rock IT team to help us set that up. And so we definitely want to, um, you know, have folks join from wherever in New Jersey. We know that that drive down is, is difficult on a Monday morning, especially at 9 a.m. So we offer, we are offering a virtual link for people to watch and join in. Uh, and so to register, uh, you can go to our website, hrrecoveryinitiative.org. You will be able to find the flyer on there. It has a registration link. In order to get that virtual link, you will need to register. It's also where you can find the nomination uh, in, within the registration link, you can also find a portion to nominate any um, local businesses or um, any professionals that you find that you've that you've run into or know of that have done outstanding work in the field of anti-human trafficking. And you know, we encourage you to fill that portion out too, whether it's just someone you know or small, no matter how small or big, you know, their contribution is. We just want to recognize people that you know are are joining in on this work. Christine, two minute drill. In terms of human trafficking, I mean, we know and we've talked about it here regularly on our program. There's a human trafficking component to what's happening right now with the migration at the southern border. That's every day. People are paying everything they have. Uh, I've heard I, I unfortunately have heard some very disturbing scenarios, children being sexually abused, some people being murdered, other people um, just paying everything that they have, you know, to get here because obviously it's where they are uh, is not like being here in the greatest country in the world. So there's a there's a whole human trafficking component just on the southern border 24 uh, seven and, and escalating, particularly in the past couple of years. But it's always been a problem. It's not just the past couple of years, but it's it's exacerbated. But there's a whole human trafficking element that's been going on uh, for a long, long time. My question is, is this plateauing at all or is this human trafficking industry? I hate to say that, but I think it qualifies when you look at the economies of scale. Is this escalating, plateauing, decreasing? How's it going? 
Well, unfortunately, Harry, and this is really bad news, but you know, as the pandemic changed the dynamics of the, of the country and how we move and how we access things, uh, the traffickers also, you know, adapted to it. And so we did see an increase in how they prey upon the children, um, you know, with the online activity, with the online presence of the children and the youth on online during the during the pandemic, they did kind of shift. And so um, unfortunately they're adapting as we are adapting. And uh, and so it doesn't stop. It, it's money, Harry, you know, it all boils down to money and yep. it's an industry and, and, you know, and so we have to do what we can to build a network to, you know, to fight against it and stand up against it and help people understand that, you know, this is because again, going back to the psychological manipulation, you know, it's in their head. They think that they can't get out, that people don't like them, don't, don't want to help them. That's not true. You know, that's just not true. And we have to plant that seed that, you know, there is help available. And it's, thank God, you know, we're able to do that today. You know, like I said, it was not always that way that we were able to get this word out, but we can now. And, uh, and so we are. And, uh, as, as, you know, as, as, as smartly as we can, I guess, you know, without, you know, it's the safety of the victims and survivors is paramount, you know, as well as the professionals that are doing the work, you know, boots on the ground. And so, we really just need to be mindful. We need to be, you know, as work together as well as we can in order to, you know, come together and collaborate in this in this fight. So I yeah. really love I love what you're doing. Um, we're going to continue to support you. By the way, are you guys a um, I'm not sure of the formation of HR Recovery Initiative. Is this is this a a not for profit organization or? Yeah. Yes, we are five hundred one C three nonprofit. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're we're gonna we're gonna send you. I know where to find you. I have your card. We're gonna send you a five hundred dollar contribution uh, to help you continue to further the great work that you do. And as we say goodbye, oh, you. uh, you're welcome. As we say goodbye, give us uh, and our listeners the date and the time and the location again, and 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 the virtual link, um, hrrecoveryinitiative.org, All of that one more time, so people can hear it, and I hope put it on their s- schedule. Absolutely. So again, you can find the flyer uh, on hrrecoveryinitiative.org. It is a recognition breakfast 2023. Survivors are thriving is our theme. It's going to be held at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. Registration starts at 8.30 and the event is from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And uh, we're going to be welcoming two keynote speakers to share, uh, survivor speakers to share their experience and their strength. And we'll also be nominating, um, I'm sorry, we'll be hearing from professionals who have been nominated for outstanding work in the field. So please definitely register. Come on out. If you can't make it in person, please join us virtually. Thanks, Harry. You're welcome, Christine. And if somebody wants to make a contribution to help you continue this this profound work that you and your organization does, do you make that check payable or credit card if they get in touch with you that way? HR Recovery Initiative, is that how we would make out our check? Yes, and so the uh, the registration, or I'm sorry, the breakfast, um, all all proceeds do go to survivor organizations, survivor scholarships, and survivor funds. Uh, so if they want to donate to to that, they can register on the on the breakfast link. If they wanted to donate directly to HR Recovery, we do have a PayPal link on our on our website again, hrrecoveryinitiative.org. And both both registration and website take PayPal uh, on the registration. Both both registration and the website have the uh, PO box where you can mail a check if that's better for your organization. Is that the the address that's on your business card that I have? 
That's okay. P.O. Box 2337, mm-hmm. Baton New Jersey. Say that one more time, just so I make sure I have it. P.O. Box. Sure thing. Uh, HR Recovery Initiative, P.O. Box 2337, Ventnor, New Jersey, 08406. Got it. Um, Christine, every every grant that we write, we attach no strings. Um, we'll send it to you to put it to use wherever you think it can be used best. So you have total total discretion. We're not we're not going to put anything on there that that says it's for a scholarship or it's for this or it's for that. You know, you do you do with it what you will and I know you'll put it to good use. Oh, that's wonderful, Harry. Thank you so much. Thank right. you so much. That's very helpful. Christine, I'm glad we got to meet today. Uh continued success, because uh, every time you have a success somebody wins and you know, it's great. You're saving right. lives and it's terrific. Uh, nice to visit with you. And we'll, this is on our community bulletin board now. So we'll continue to promote this in the run up to January 23rd. Oh, we really appreciate that. Okay. Thank you so much. See you, All right. Christine. Thanks, Harry. Yep. Bye bye. Christine Knight. Knight with a K. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. I think we can squeeze in one more call next. Mark Levin. But I'm sick and tired of America being treated like it's not the land of opportunity. Oh, woe is me. They're holding me back. Everybody with a chip on their shoulder. Nobody's holding you back. Maybe you're just a damn loser. Mark Levin. Weeknights at 6 on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Sean Hannity. This afternoon at 3. Now, early in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. I hope that we did a credible job impressing upon you, impressing upon you what a significant problem human trafficking is in our in our area, in our state, in our country. Uh, and uh, that is such important work that they are doing. And we are we are honored to uh, to step up. I've already written the uh, the check. It's going to as they say, the check is in the mail. Welcome to Hurley in the morning. You're on the air. Morning, boss. How are you, sir? Uh, pretty well. Very. Uh, why, why did I just say pretty well? Very well. Very well. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Hey, stemming off of uh, Christine's uh, interview with you there, uh, I wanted to ask you, and you're 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 so perceptive, uh, you know, and you notice like everything. I know this about you. Thank you. Um, when when Biden went to the border. He walked up to some of the higher-ups, I guess, of the Border Patrol and met them, okay, in El Paso. And where do you think he shook their hands as a photo op or whatever the case may be? Where was he standing? Ah, this is a good question, and I did pick up on this. You know me well, my friend. Uh, He was right. The backdrop was that beautiful, as President Trump would call it, that beautiful wall, that beautiful, tall, slatted wall. Uh, it it's not, was not lost on me because he could have done that anywhere, and he did it there. You know the whole thing was staged right down to the employees that they picked, that they knew there would be no incident. Because imagine if you got the wrong employee there and they just started talking to the cameras, what, what, what are they going to do? Make it look like Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Russia? What are they going to do? Shoot the person while they're speaking dead in their tracks? So the whole thing was staged. And – But this is all part, Matt, of what I was talking about in my earlier monologue. Biden is pivoting to the center, even going to go a little bit center right in his rhetoric. He will still govern like Hillary Clinton, but he will talk like Ronald Reagan. That's the game. 
That's the optic. That's what I saw. How did I do? Oh, perfectly. That's the first thing I noticed. I'm like, wait a minute. That's Trump's wall he's in front of there. You know, first of all. Yeah, say it this way. That beautiful wall. That beautiful wall. (laughs) And they cleaned the whole city up before he got there. I know. It's a, all you have to do is look at like two days before and the picture camps and people all over the place. Oh, so, so messy. So terrible. Uh, and then it's pristine, beautiful when he gets there. Look, everything about them is a fraud and a scam. I feel like I passed the um, the surprise uh, quiz that I got hit with, uh, but it's all part of uh, keeping up, you know, on what's happening. Matt, we're at the uh, halfway point. John Zarek is next. I've got to run. Good to talk to you, Matt. All right, buddy. See you, my friend. John Zarek coming by next because it is Smart Law with John Zarek and then my pal. Dr. C, who you're going to love from Deborah Hart and Lung Center. He's awesome. WPGG Atlantic City, WENJHD3 Millville, a Town Square media station. Everything you need to know in six minutes starts now. From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you. Welcome back. Ooh, we're swiping an extra minute. An extra minute of Zarek is... uh, highly recommended so let's um let's get to this uh john zarek is the official and the exclusive lead counsel for criminal defense legal matters for the hurley in the morning program every thursday morning in the eight o'clock hour the law offices of john zarek presents smart law with john zarek title fits it is smart they have offices seemingly all over the fruited plain but i'll give you one main number to reach john 609 641-2266. That's 609-641-2266. If you heard about John through me, tell him that. They're on the web at johnzarek.com. John, Z-A-R-Y-C-H, johnzarek.com. Counselor, welcome to your program. Good morning. Great to be here, Harry. Great to have Uh, you. We, We just did it. Really is a perfect, I think, like segue. We just did an amazing segment with a program director involved with uh, human trafficking. It was amazing. So I just want to make that comment. I'm not expecting a conversation about it, but I just wanted to say I just thought it was a perfect segue to the Zarek program. I will tell you I've been very much studying. uh, I saw that Putin replaced the general that has been failing. So Ukraine just fired a general. uh, So that's not lost on me. Uh, We're here in the brand new year of 2023. Uh, Time is yours, Counselor. Yeah, uh, there's a uh, there's there's always something new and exciting about life, and uh, and certainly it may be exciting in a terrible way, as in the war uh, in Ukraine, but uh, and maybe exciting in a terrible way in terms of uh, the latest crime mystery. But um, you know, I I want to I want to really talk about the future today. Um, this is very, very important uh, to me. I and, and especially with people that are, uh, say, not young, not old, but necessarily, not necessarily young. 
there's um, an expectation, and uh, I know it's very widespread, where if you even hit 50, 55, that people will say, um, well, are you going to slow down now? You know, are you going to start to slow down? Or are you going to spend more time in Florida? You know, or are you going to take it easy a little bit? And, uh, you know, and, and that is, uh, you know, I think that never stops uh, for people, you know, in this society. The, the overwhelming assumption is that if you have the opportunity to have leisure, and I mean excessive leisure, you know, like all day, all week, uh, that you're going to, um, if you have leisure like that, you're going to take it, you know, and you're going to take that opportunity. And I think it's, uh, I think it's really uh, a debilitating thing for a lot of people. I think there are lots and lots of people around who have tremendous potential. Um, and it's not just potential for serving others. It's potential for satisfaction, personal satisfaction. Um, they, and they have this potential, but because of the expectation, and I guess you could call it ageism to be formal about it, um, they have the, because of the expectation that they're going to slow down, that they're going to move to the uh, uh, villages or something, that they're going to go, um, you know, and and play golf four times a week or something like that. That you know that that's the thing to do. You know that's that's the thing that they should do, and a lot of people do that or do the equivalent of it. And I think um, I think it's just such a waste in many cases. Now there may be people that have uh, physical jobs, like certainly the guys in the trades. They they work and to a point, and 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 the reason they get paid so well and should get paid so well um, and get, you know, great annuities and and benefits and so forth is because they're wearing themselves out as they do their work, right? So so a lot of guys, I, you know, I, I, I see that repeatedly, friends or, or clients uh, or families of clients, and, you know, we always talk about what they're doing and, and you know they have um, their meniscus is gone. Uh, they've torn their their ACL twice. They've um, they've got shoulder tears. Um, they've you know got hernias that have been repaired a couple of times. You know they're just having a rough time. They they have arthritis in their hands or they're you know from working in the cold. Of course, I'm not you know I'm not advocating that those people should continue to be out in the cold, but not necessarily that they should be, um, you know, not necessarily that they should just hang it up and, and play golf, uh, five days a week. Uh, I, I and, and certainly for people that don't ha don't get worn out physically, it just seems to me that there's a lot of potential, um, being squandered. And I'm talking about a lot of potential for, self-satisfaction being squandered because nothing feels so good as to 
um, accomplish something, to, to meet a challenge and to work hard and then um, look back and say, wow, that was good. Uh, and I deserve this rest. A, a very good uh, quote that demonstrates this. President Reagan was, and he knew he was a wise man, obviously, and he knew what was going on. He uh, was governor. Well, he was an actor. Mm-hmm. Then he was um, a public spokesman. Yep. Uh, traveled the country. Then he was a governor two terms. And then he was... I think he was actually president of the uh, Screen Guild, actor Screen Guild, too. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. And By the was- way, you, you said it right. He was intelligent. He was smart. And a lot of his writings that, that have been discovered, these amazing handwritten letters, because it's obvious he wrote them. That's the beauty the beauty of the handwritten word that we lose that. Now, if something's typed, anybody could have written it. But in his beautiful handwriting, he was incredibly visionary, incredibly smart, and the media portrayed him like a bumbling, stumbling dummy. Totally wrong. And when, yeah, when he was leaving the presidency, he was asked, um, you've done all this stuff. You're going to take it easy now, I imagine. You know, you're going to relax and take it easy. He said, oh, no, I'm getting a job. I'm going to get a job. And they said, a job, but you've, you've worked all your life. you accomplished so much. Don't you deserve to take it easy? He said, maybe, but I don't want to ruin my Saturdays. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to ruin my Saturdays. You know, uh, he didn't want every day to feel like Saturday. Unfortunately, he became ill and didn't have the chance to, uh, you know, to to get another job. But he's... uh, you know, that's, I, I think that's an important way to think for a lot of people. I mean, not everyone, but um, it's very satisfying to wake up on Saturday morning if you have a full-time job and and think, ah, I don't have to go to work today. I can, you know, I can play golf today. I've earned that. Uh, I, I've, I've met so many people. One, one uh, prominent lawyer, he was a matrimonial lawyer, and worked hard, was respected, uh, and I saw him. He he had retired. I knew he wasn't around in in the courts. And I said to him, um, "We'll say Joe. Uh, Joe, uh, you're retired now, right?" And he says, "Yeah." And by the way, he he didn't smile the whole time of this interaction. And I said, uh, "Are what do you?" What do you think about retirement? You know, what do you think about retirement? He looked at me almost with a sense of dread. And he said, whatever you do, don't retire. Don't retire. John, everybody I talk to, I've told you my Bob Grant story. He called me, Harry, Harry, I'm retiring. Bad idea, Bob. What? I'm ready. You're not ready. You're so vital. You have so much to offer. You are going to miss it so bad in two weeks. And, of course, within two to four weeks, he was right back. Some, you know, the thing about that, I think we also have to be mindful. Chuck and I talked about it yesterday on his program, John Chuck Malamut. You know, all these uh, actuarial things, they call them like uh, survivor, um, cohort survival type things when they're doing these um, age things for different planning your retirement. 65 used to be retirement age, and then you didn't live that much longer. 
the averages now are that, you know, unless you get, you know, dealt a bad hand, just unlucky, uh, you're going to live several decades past 65. So 65 isn't ready to be a, a retirement age necessarily. And even the whole model is challenged because of that. Uh, I think the difference is finding something you want to do. I, I do feel for people because of the economy and uh, in about 14 minutes, they're going to release the um, – the CPI numbers will see the inflation and what's going on there, John, uh, during your show, actually. But I love the idea of continuing past whatever you want to call retirement age because you want to versus because you have to. I think there's a mindset there, uh, but I'm in agreement with you. Everybody that I know that has retired misses being in the game. You had a reason to get up. You had a reason to shave. You had a reason to put some clothes on and and go somewhere and do some things. I I think that most people miss that, John. I do. And, and, uh, you know, there are reasons why uh, we have work. Uh, You know, throughout history, work was looked upon not not as a burden, but as an opportunity, because work is what makes our leisure leisure, right? If you, if every day is Saturday and Sunday, you know, every day is a weekend day, then it's not, as, as President Reagan said, it's not fun to wake up on Saturday morning, you know? It's no different than any other day. I love that. So, very, yeah, very important to... Um, to look at what the reality of taking it easy, as they say, is going to be, and and really to talk to people. Now, I do know people that are living pretty good lives, and they en- they they enjoy themselves in in normal retirement, you know, and they maybe see the grandkids more. But another thing that you know, in terms of spending time with the kids and the family and the grandkids, you know. Assuming that your kids have good, healthy families and they don't need to be rescued, right? They they have good lives together. You add something. I mean, certainly when we visit grandkids, we you know we add something to the to the game, so to speak. Especially paying for dinner, that we add that every time, <laughs> guaranteed. But um, that's, fantastic. that's that's a given. But um, we add something to the to the whole scene, to the family, but we also detract in a way. You know, the time that we spend is time that the family is not spending time living their great life. You know, and I'm you know I'm fortunate that I have two great sons-in-law and and uh, you know four grandkids, and they you know, but they they live good lives. They do things together all the time they work together they play sports together you know it's a good it's a good scene yeah hey john john here's an important scene too it's 19 minutes past the hour we better break where the next segment's going to be hello john we got to go to break uh we'll be right back he is john zarek it's smart law with john zarek with john i am early in the morning wpg talk radio 95.5 fm and 1450 a.m Listen for the morning edition of the O'Reilly Update with Bill O'Reilly at 10.15 this morning.
Now, Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hey, thank you. Thank you for waking up early in the morning. Thank you for waking up for Smart Law with John Zarek. And coming up after John, we have one of my favorites. Uh, I've been through his entire facility, uh, the um, electrophysiology department. It's a division, actually, uh, within Deborah Heart and Lung Center. And Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, who we call Dr. C., is the division director of electrophysiology and pacing. And we go back, gosh, I can't even believe it, but we go back like almost 30 years. It's amazing. Pacemakers used to be the size of a pack of cigarettes and protrude in your chest, upper chest. Now they're the size of a quarter or a 50 cent piece and you don't even see them. And they're programmable remotely and it's, the battery life is amazing. Really good stuff. Atrial fibrillation is the topic for the first half hour, then we'll have some more open forum after Dr. C. John Zarek, uh, please continue to be smart or else we're frauds and it won't be smart law with John Zarek. Thank you, John. I'll try my best, Harry. You'll do it. I know um, you. I know you. So we're all going to, you know, I think I think we're all going to look at uh, things like retirement and leisure and, uh, you know, how we spend the rest of our lives carefully you know we don't want to we don't want to just be locked in on one way of uh, getting older you know we don't want to be locked in on on the idea that um, I just can't wait to retire I can't wait to retire um, I know I, I'll tell you one thing uh, there are a number of judges who have retired who are who were not very happy about it but, they, but did they did they all use that? I forget what it's called. You're the expert, but callback or whatever. They've been fortunate. People that have retired have been able to still do, do the job because there's been such a shortage. So I guess that kind of gave, even though maybe they thought they didn't need it, that kind of gave them a soft landing, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It, it uh, sure. Uh, I'm I'm not talking about those judges. Uh, those most of the judges they wait a year and. You know, they come back. There's not a great deal of money involved in it. In fact, um, but they but they like the, they have something to do. They have something to do that's uh, good. You know, good for society. They have experience. They help their uh, fellow um, judges. You know, fill in on off days and so forth. And sometimes they, you know, just take on a, a very heavy caseload. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, Judge uh, Neustadter, Judge Robert Neustadter, who was really a wonderful judge, mm -hmm. just the best. Uh, I learned so much from him. He'd always uh, take time after in on breaks or after a case and just give insight into what just happened, what, you know, what how you can do it differently, what the options are, what the consequences of the options are. He was just, just a wonderful person, always a gentleman. Um, you know, sometimes lawyers get rambunctious. They get a little aggressive. They get even rude. You, you wouldn't do it in his classroom, not, I mean, in, in a courtroom, not in a million years. I say a classroom because that's what it was for a lot of us. You know, we learned and learned and learned. You wouldn't do that in his courtroom because he, he just, it was just inappropriate. You know, it'd be like,
playing basketball in a church. You know, you, you just not something you would do. Um, and when he retired, he came back on recall. Um, and I think there was not, you know, not a great deal of, I, th- I think the money was not as not what it was before. They pay less money for that. But then even when that ran out, there's a certain time when you can do it for so long or to a certain age. He worked and didn't get paid at all. You know, he volunteered to be a judge. And he's not the only one that's done that. I mean, he he liked it so much. He liked being in that environment that it was fine. And he, you know, it's not like he lived a an austere life. I mean, he still went out to dinner and he went to Florida on his vacations. Judges get quite a bit vacation. vacation. So he went to Florida. He had, you know, a good life, but he had that service all the way. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be um, friendly for him, with him once he re, once he retired, once he was off the bench. Um, really proud. He would he would refer cases to me. You know, he would refer criminal cases to me. I I couldn't. You know, first time that happened, I absolutely couldn't believe it. You know, like isn't there someone else? But he was he was that he he was just that kind that he was um, supportive and, and really, you know, and of course, if I, if I got a case that was referred by him, I, I, you know, it was like, it was like a final exam as far as I'm concerned, because obviously (laughs) the people are going to talk to him about their experience. So it was, I was highly motivated to do a good job uh, for, for him, but no, he, that's, that's an example of, uh, people that uh, a person who just values work for itself, not for the, the gains you can get, but you all, but also usually when people work, they do get paid and, and that's a benefit too. But I wanted to also, um, talk about people in politics, you know, president Biden hasn't slowed down. Um, Senator John McCain, President Trump hasn't slowed down. Nope. Um, Wilbur Ross, I think he took the job, if I'm not mistaken, he took the job in the White House with President Trump. He was the trade guy, I believe, um, or a major economic advisor. Uh, He was maybe a billionaire when he took that job, (laughs) so he certainly didn't need it for the money. And it was, it was a job that was 18 hours a day for sh- for sure. Yep. Um, but he, he took the, he took the job and did a good job of it. Um, John, let's get the halftime break in. I would like to follow up if you don't mind, cause I think it does fit under smart law with John Zarek. What I have noticed the weaponization of what's going on. I'm such a, um, I'm so against it at so many levels. Uh, for example, I don't want Biden prosecuted for these documents. They all, I guarantee if we looked at Obama's documents, we'd find classified documents. But I don't want them getting away with what they're doing with Trump. Here's my question to you. Because of the weaponization that's going on, do you think more people, I have my own answer, but I want to get your answer, uh, do you think more people will hesitate? I mean, look what they did to General Flynn, ruined him, bankrupted him, had to sell his home, threatened to prosecute his son. 
I mean, this is a wicked this is a wicked time that we're living in. I think the great ones will be very hesitant to want to serve, whereas they always wanted to before. Because you figure you're going to be in courtrooms for the rest of your life. Uh, they're going to try to put you in jail, invent some process crime, destroy your reputation, your family. I want to ask you if we're on, on the path where only mediocre people, uh, nobody smart, will ever want anything to do with any of this again. Now, of course, if they calculate, hey, I, I, I get in and I get out, I write a book, you know, and I make millions. I mean, there'll always be opportunists. But what are your thoughts about really quality people, people in general, who won't want anything to do with this because they're, they're, they're weaponizing the Department of Justice, the FBI, to where you can't serve without looking over your shoulder. I mean, they invited General Flynn. Hey, hey, we just want to talk to you. You know, and they, they sandbagged him. They do it to a four-star general. I want to get your take on that, John, when we come back and much more. Smart Law with John Zarek continues. I am Hurley in the morning. This is the Town Square, New Jersey Info and Weather Network. 31 minutes past the hour. Harry Hurley here with three stories that you can follow on our WPG Talk Radio 95.5 app. And I guess we broke them all, but... Uh, Philadelphia man, and it took me five days. I knew about it five days ago, but it took me five days to button this down to where I, I could publish it. A Philly man assaulted a woman on the Atlantic City boardwalk with a brick in a T-shirt, using it like a sling weapon. And we broke the news of the Margate mayor and commissioner not running for re-election this May. Go. From the Townsport, New Jersey Info and Weather Network, I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zaro. Today's first wave of unsettled weather is here. Starting off your Thursday with some showers, we'll catch a lull with clouds and fog and drizzle around for most of the day. High temperatures pushing into the 50s. A period of steady to heavy rain likely tonight could be some rumbles of thunder, and the wind's going to kick up a little bit. Temperatures in the 50s. Rain wraps up tomorrow morning. We'll fall from the 50s into the 40s tomorrow afternoon. Get weather 24-7 wherever you are. Download our free mobile app. Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. From the world's playground, this is Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hey, thank you. 36 minutes past the hour with John Zarek. Smart Law with John Zarek. Thursday mornings in the 8 o'clock hour. So, John, what did you think about my question? Because we've seen all these people uh, get get brought through and drugged through and put through the ringer and costing millions of dollars to defend themselves and uh, have their reputations destroyed. If if a president were to call and say, hey, would you like to be an assistant secretary or a secretary or this position or that position? I think a lot of people are now going to say no. Well, I think I think uh, I think there always will be uh, an abundant number of people who are qualified for these jobs and will take the jobs if um, if asked. I, 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 I'm not going to discount that, but I also believe there's a lot of really smart people that are not going to want anything to do with it and will not be a part of it because of what they've seen. Uh, sure. That's going to be, that's going to be the case. And, and as things get more contentious, if they stay this contentious or, or get worse, there are going to be a substantial number of people who won't consider these jobs. But 
I think there always will be people who are willing to take on impossible tasks, you know, who, who like achievement. Um, you know, most of the, most of the VPs for the fortune 500, uh, companies, um, already have more wealth than, than they, their children and their grandchildren can spend, you know, they've gotten to those high positions, um, because they, they're just on the ball. You know, they, they really have made a lot of money through the years. They get better and better jobs with bigger and bigger bonuses and so forth. <clears throat> they're not doing it for the money. Uh, they're doing it primarily for the challenge and the satisfaction that comes. Um, in, in many cases, you'll hear a lot of uh, vice presidents, uh, you know, CEOs saying, you know, I like making millionaires. Yes. I like making people. And John, your point couldn't be more well taken. These are people that have made millions that are taking a position that makes like $188,000 a year. They're not doing it for the money. They're, they're, they would do it for free. Uh, so I could not agree with you more. Uh, and what I'm always watchful for, I want people that want it in the best way, not in the worst way. We see people that go in, they angle, they come out and write either a tell-all negative book about, you know, I'd like to see that. I'd like there to be some covenants, some uh, restrictions that you can't you can't do that. I don't think you should be able to profit the way that they are with these million, multi-million dollar book advances. And you know that the requirement is you have to reveal something very, very meaty, salacious, whatnot. Uh, I, I'd like to see some ethics changes. Remember, members of Congress used to have a, a floor pass after they left office and they would literally lobby on the floor. Talk about an advantage. Talk about corruption. So they not it's like, hey, knock that off. You still got enough advantages having been a former member with these companies that hire you for think tanks and to come on their boards and pay you all this money. I just see a lot of profiteering going on, John, and I don't like it. Yeah, it, it, there always has been, you know, Harry. Um, it's it's really nothing new. Maybe it's a little more blatant, and maybe we know more about it. But you know, corruption, whether it's outright stealing money or the soft corruption of you take care of me and I'll take care of you, you take care of my family, I'll take care of your family, which is has been go- that's been going on forever. Um, the the. Purity in politics uh, evaporated after the first, um, well, the second presidential campaign. Um, Washington was, um, Washington became the, uh, by acclamation, became the uh, first president of the United States. Uh, he declined being a king. He said, no, he'll, he'll be called the president. Yep. Uh, Who does that? And then, and then, um, Adams became, you know, the the next president. Uh, he was it was clear and clean, um, nothing bad in the campaign. He became the next president. But then Jefferson ran against Adams. Oh yeah, it was nasty too. Jefferson was the sleaziest guy in terms of politics. He was brilliant, uh, one of the fathers of our country, and so forth. But the sleaziest, every dirty trick, he, he makes Roger Stone, 
he makes Roger Stone look like a choir boy, mm. you know. Um, not that I don't like Roger Stone, but he's he's tough politics. Uh, he every every dirty trick in the book was used. When Adams got beat that way the second time around, he was pure up to then. But when Adams got beat, he appointed every relative and every political friend and every hometown buddy to every job he could get. It was a total, you know, it wasn't, had nothing to do with, uh, you know, on the way out, he, he, you know, he, he was just as corrupt as anybody else. And politics has never been any different since. It's just the way it's played. But there are always people, I, I, I always say, 90% of the people in po- involved in politics are involved for selfish uh, or monetary reasons, in my opinion. 10% of the people involved are real patriots. They're going to do the right thing no matter what, no matter how. And the greatest challenge of anyone is to manage that 90%. The 10% are easy to manage. The good guys are easy to manage. The unselfish people, the dedicated patriots, easy to manage. But the other 90%, you know, not all of them, but most, you know, a lot of them, they would vote for the, the Communist Party, the Nazi Party, for the Bathist Party. They'd vote for anybody if it got their wife or their kid or their buddy a job. You know, that's just the way it is. Um, the challenge in politics is to have, is to, and it's the greatest challenge Greatest management challenge anywhere, anyhow. The the challenge, say for for someone who wants to be president, is to manage that other ninety percent. The ten percent is easy. That other ninety percent that are money grubbing, venal, uh, greedy, uh, and and seeking things. Managing that crew and becoming president and then governing the country with those people is the greatest challenge in history. So there are always people and people, people who are trying to be president, uh, know that. And there are always people, people that are willing to take, take on that challenge just for the challenge of it. John, hold right there. We're approaching 45 minutes past the hour, right back. One more power segment straight ahead with John Zarek. It's smart law with John Zarek. This is. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. When you need to know, it's WPG Talk Radio 95.5. We'll call that truth. 47 minutes past the hour. John Zarek continues smart law with John Zarek. 13 minutes uninterrupted until the top of the hour. So I love that. And then we have Dr. C, Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, who's in charge of all the devicing, pacing, everything like that. Uh, at Deborah Hart and Lung Center. So we, we've got the the director. I mean, it's always a great program with Dr. C. And then we'll have some nice open forum coming up after that. I just heard something that's unbelievable. I, I don't want to talk about it on John's show, but I want to tease it and I want to come back to it at about 835. I just learned that there's actually a school district 
where they took sixth graders to Nikki's pole dancing strip club. Uh, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. That's Nikki with two with one I and two K's and an I at the end uh, to a strip club. And they actually have a picture. I'm looking at it. A friend of mine at Fox News sent it to me. Uh, They're pole dancing sixth graders in a strip club. It's it's just un, what's going on in our country is it's unbearable. It's unimaginable. So I'm going to keep my powder dry on that until after Dr. C, uh, the school district wouldn't do anything about it. So one of the trustees on the board blew the whistle. That's the only reason now. And you're going to you're this might be the first time you heard it, but you're going to hear a lot about this uh, throughout the day. John, back to you. Time is yours. Yes, Harry, by. Uh 90-10 rule that 10% of the people involved in politics are patriots and 90% are venal money grubbers or power grubbers uh, looking for jobs, appointments, and uh, influence to help their families and friends. What do you think? Well, I, I love the Zarek Doctrine. I think you're right. Uh, I'm not sure if the numbers are perfect, but I, I, I would accept them as believable and it's hard in this kind of thing because we don't know the intent of every person that goes in some look elegant polished and look like they're in it for the right reasons and might be very strategic and opportunistic and looking to pedal off it later but yeah i do believe it's almost like the conversations we have where uh 90 high percentile or whatever of cops are good a very small fraction of a percentage are bad uh, same with lawyers and any other vocation. Yeah, I, I, I believe that, and I, I believe that not just because I want to believe that. I think you're right about that. I think you sized that up very well. Yeah, and, and, and there are, as I said, there are always people that are willing to take on the challenge of being good themselves, leading the good people, and also leading and managing the bad people of course that's the big challenge it's very very you know distasteful actually to be dealing with people like that on a regular basis but guess what every everyone who becomes president has to do that you know everyone who becomes president has to manage Uh, unfortunately some of the people who become president are part of that that uh that bad crowd. Yeah. Um, also, too, John, I think some of the variables are, and I'm not going to get political on the Zarek show, but I'd be a liar if I, did, I if I, you know, if I felt this and, and didn't say it, I'd be an act of omission. It's easier to serve in a Democrat administration than it is in a Republican administration. There's much more Democrat media. Uh, they come after people. They want to get rid of people. If it's a Democrat, they overlook. You can even see early on they're they're acting like Biden having classified documents is very, very different. Oh, this is not even it, it, one one person said it's the difference between an orange and an orangutan. The difference between uh, that's racist to me. Uh, the person that said that, Sonny Hostin, uh, ridiculous comment, racist comment and gets away with it, of course. So it is much easier serving in a Democrat administration. You don't have people coming after you to invent you know, process crimes or to try to ruin you just for political reasons. So I'm going to modify my comment. It's harder to say yes to a Republican president, a Democrat president. I mean, let's pothole Pete Buttigieg is a joke, John. This guy's a joke. 
He went away for two months and nobody even knew it. And this guy, they'd say he's going to be the next president. I mean, it's really easy on one side compared to the other. I don't want to sully your pure presentation, but I believe what I just said. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Uh, I wanted to, before we run out of time, and we, I just quickly want to say, you know, we're we're dedicated to law enforcement on this show. I mean, we really are. And um, I know what I'm talking about. I work with law enforcement all the time, constantly, you know, in court, out of court, uh, in investigations, in the community, in charitable events. You know, I, I work with cops constantly um, and FBI agents and uh, other special agents for various, uh, you know, each each major department in the federal government has their own sort of law enforcement group. And all those people work with the FBI. They could be labor. They could be Treasury. They, you know, there, there are lots of people that I've interacted with. And I'll tell you, it's hard to find a bad one. It really is very, very hard. They They exist. And the good cops, who are almost all of them, um, no one hates a bad cop more uh, than a good cop, you know. And, and no one wants to remove those people um, any more aggressively than uh, a good cop. So, uh, you know, they're, you know, the, the we're starting to wear off the... Um, you know, anti-police rhetoric. Thank God. You know, um, we're starting to wear off. And, and you know, we can see that that was really a creation. We're, you know, what do we hear about cops killing black people lately? What do we hear about, you know, where are the riots? Where's Antifa? The summer of love. It was, you know, John, you know where it is. It's, it's gone till the next election. It was, a, it was an election stunt. It was, a, and you think about. I think it should go down as one of the dirtiest election strategies in the history of the republic because it got people killed, it got people hurt, it got people's buildings and businesses and homes destroyed. It, I mean, it was terrible. But you're right. Where did yeah, it go? The strategy, yeah, the strategy was to make people so miserable and so disgusted when they picked up the um, when they. Uh, turn on the television every morning or picked up the paper so miserable and so disgusted that they just said we hate these people we don't want to elect these uh democrats but uh we we like the other side better but please make it stop you know let it stop if we vote for the democrats maybe all this will stop and sure enough it did yeah no it was, you know, it, it was they, in, a, in, a, in a macabre twisted sick way it was extremely effective. It shouldn't have been. It should have failed miserably. But it was that moment in time where it just got so much market saturation level acceptance and coverage. I mean, the NFL bought into the wokeness, uh, all this money that went to causes where we don't even know where the money went now. They bought houses and mansions. And I mean, it's, you know, what what suckers, you know, people can be. I mean, for most people with two eyes wide open, it was very obvious that if you're throwing frozen water bottles and rocks and 
and beating cops over the head with baseball bats with nails coming through them and uh, urinating on them and throwing acid. And I could keep going, John, shooting them, burning down, taking over their precincts and putting your name on the top of a police precinct. This stuff went on with impunity, John. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the strategy seems to be there doesn't seem to be any urgency um, in the Democratic cities, urgency with regard to uh, the major Democratic cities, with regard to education. You know, there seems to be a great deal of urgency with making sure that teachers are paid tremendous amounts of money and have great benefits. But the schools are more and more and more disastrous every year that goes on. And I think this is, fits perfectly with the, you know, the overall Democratic strategy, which is, you know, if people don't have any education, they don't have any insight, they can be easily manipulated, yep. very easily manipulated. And um, and that's that I think is largely what happened uh, in the last election. For example, Harry, do you know how many kids read, uh, not read, but in the in the Baltimore school system, how many kids in, in West Baltimore, which is the neighborhood for the wire, it's the primarily African-American neighborhood, it's where Freddie Gray was arrested and so forth, um, it's, you know, out of control shooting. It's the shooting capital of the world. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh, killed all the time uh, in in West Baltimore. And you were going to ask me, how many are proficient in this or that test? In, and, how many kids go ahead. are at grade level? Grade level. At grade level in well, math. All right. Okay, here we go. And math is the toughest the for some reason. Don't, don't give yeah. me the answer. I'm going to work my way into it very quickly. I know we're down to only yeah. a minute and a half. Yeah. It's very low. How low am I willing to go? I'm going to say 10%. Try zero. I didn't want to say that, John. I wanted to give some some hope. Hey, look, uh, John, I did did an article two months ago. Atlantic City has zero uh, in certain areas in testing. It's unbelievable what's going on. It's such a failure. Final minute, John, go. Yeah. So people can be easily manipulated if they're not educated. Um, and that's that seems to be a, a policy that works just fine for the Democratic majority. I mean, that's that works just fine. Zero. Um, Zero. Smart people are not going to go. Smart people are not going to go for this. Now, John, imagine how many millions of dollars are spent to achieve that zero. Yeah, they're not spent for educational purposes. They're spent to give people jobs. Uh, that Democrats control yeah. and uh, build support for the Democratic politicians yep. that are perpetrating yep. this. And, and honestly, you don't have to say this, John. I want to hold you harmless on this. Uh, I even put you on hold while I say it. Uh, Atlantic City is a mini version of it. John, we're down to 10 seconds. Great to be with you, my friend. Yeah, great to be with you, Harry. Uh, keep the faith. Look forward. And John will be with us on Friday of next week. He's accommodating me. I'm not accommodating him. Thank you for your friendship, your partnership, your brotherhood. I love you, John. Uh, Talk to you soon.
WPGG Atlantic City. Take care, Harry. You too, buddy. See ya. Three Millville, a Town Square Media Station. Everything you need to know in six minutes starts now. Doctor C. From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hey, thank you so very much. Welcome back to the program. And I wanted to make sure that I was right about something that I had said about Dr. C. And indeed I was. Uh, Dr. C and I go back to the entire length and breadth of his career at Deborah Hart Lung Center. We had the privilege of actually hosting for 25 years the Deborah Hart Lung Center television program. And we've been doing the radio program for about 25 years of our 35 years, uh, of our 31 years on air here at WPG Talk Radio 95.5. So I knew that, I just knew it wasn't a false memory. Uh, Dr. C has been at Deborah for more than 22 years. Uh, Just an incredible doctor. He's the division director of electrophysiology and pacing. I, I had the opportunity, I guess it was almost 20 years ago, to go through his entire areas of responsibility with Dr. C. It was amazing quality time. I got to see what they do. I got to see all the different devices. Uh, It was amazing. He's a fellow of the American College of Cardiology, Dr. C, specialty training in cardiology and interventional cardiology, New York Medical College, Westchester Medical Center, Electrophysiology, Bay State Medical Center, Springfield, Massachusetts, and board certified in electrophysiology, residency, internal medicine, New York Medical College, Westchester Medical Center, Valhalla, New York, and he's well-published as well, and it is a pleasure. Let's get right into it because we have a very important topic this half hour on Deborah Heart and Lung Center presents Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, better known in the Deborah universe, if you will, and many of our listeners know who Dr. C is, known as Dr. C. Dr. C, welcome back, sir. Welcome. Good morning, Harry. It is good to hear your voice, my friend. And uh, a lot to talk about. Atrial fibrillation is no joke. What is it? So atrial fibrillation um, is a heart rhythm disorder that distorts the normal rhythm. So the normal rhythm of the heart usually is a sequenced beat, top to bottom. That's what gives you that ba-bump, ba-bump. So the top part of the heart in atrial fibrillation becomes chaotic. It's lost its normal rhythm longer beating normally and this can affect the bottom part of the heart and instead of having a nice regular heartbeat now you have a very irregular heartbeat that can be quite bothersome for the patient and put them at risk for certain things now dr c i don't want to conflate but i'm going to throw it out there and it's especially uh pleasant because his amazing improvement now he's out of the hospital altogether Damar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills suffered in front of millions of viewers uh, very what appears to be if it's what we've been hearing. They haven't really revealed if it's exactly this. I forget the name. It's You would know it. It's a um, it's a funny name for, for a, a lay person like me to say. But he had a cardiac event on the field. That's not we I guess we don't know, but that's not atrial fibrillation. He, he got hit 
in the heart, supposedly at exactly an inopportune split second moment, either in between a beat or whatever. And boom, his heart started going erratic. What, what would you call that? So what he suffered was what, what's, what's called um, sudden cardiac arrest, which is actually in this country the most common reason um, for, for dying from a cardiac reason. It is the most, one of the most common causes of death. In fact, it alone accounts for almost all cancers combined in terms of reasons for people dying. Wow. So his rhythm problem was from the bottom part of the heart. Oh. So instead of atrial fibrillation, which is the top part, he had ventricular fibrillation, which is the bottom part. Much, much more serious. That is a life-threatening rhythm. Now, he is in a very rare category. He has what's called commotia cordis. That's the thing. Which it is... He got hit in the chest. Now, this is, this is what we're interpreting. I don't know the specifics of this case, obviously. I'm not privy to his, to his medical records or whatnot. But that's, what commotia cordis is, is when you get hit in the chest, just at the end of the normal heartbeat as it's recovering, and that's what triggers this rhythm problem. It's rare, but it's a known entity. It's very common in... Um, it's very common. There's a whole, uh, we had a series up in Massachusetts from Tufts, um, very common in little leaguers. Yes. So usually these are, these are very, you know, thin, um, you know, uh, boys or girls. And if the baseball hits them in the chest just at the right time, it can trigger this. And that usually leads to them passing out, uh, hopefully not dying, but, um, but that's what can occur. So the most common, you know, reason for this usually is Little League Baseball with a hard baseball or lacrosse where the ball is, you know, really, really um, solid. And if it hits you just at the right time, this can happen. So usually what we do is we just avoid that. You don't need to do anything further about that. You just recover if you like in, it seems as though that in many cases you need that defibrillator, though. Normal CPR, will, can that sometimes bring somebody back with chest compressions and such? Or do you need that defibrillator well, to be able to get that heart back in rhythm? Yeah, you need the, the, the defibrillator. The, the, the young man was saved because they had what's called an AED, an automatic external defibrillator. So knowing CPR is extremely important for everybody to know because if this happens as this did, the CPR buys time while you can get the defibrillator onto the patient and then defibrillate them, that's what stops this rhythm problem and allows the normal rhythm to recover. What a great uh, analysis of that. You are listening to Dr. Rafael Corbusiero. Dr. C is a cardiac electrophysiologist and the division director of electrophysiology and pacing at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. The topic this half hour on Deborah Heart and Lung Center presents Dr. C is atrial fibrillation. Deborah Heart and Lung Center is accepting new patients. You can call or you can navigate digitally and the website is excellent. There's a, you can't miss hyperlink. It's all colorful and you'll click right on that and you'll go right to scheduling. 609-621-2080 if you prefer to call. 609 609- 621-2880. DeBoer Heart and Lung Center is at 200 Trenton Road, Browns Mills, New Jersey. I've made the trip there many times. It's pleasant. It's great. From the southern portion of the state, it's no big deal. They do have satellite uh, offices in many of the disciplines. 609-621-2080 or on the web at demanddebora.com.
AFib.org. Dr. C, what happens within the heart during AFib and break down the different stages? So when atrial fibrillation happens, the top part is no longer beating normally. Okay, so what we have normally, <clears throat> excuse me, with the top part of the heart is there's a built-in pacemaker that we all have that should send out a dominant signal to trigger the whole top part of the heart to beat. When atrial fibrillation happens, that area is no longer in charge of the rhythm, so electrically the top part becomes chaotic. So instead of having one dominant signal triggering the top part to squeeze, now we have five, 600 signals in the top part of the heart that are completely uh, disynchronous, discoordinated. So instead of the top part squeezing, now it's just quivering. So it's no longer beating normally. Um, now, from a plumbing standpoint, the top part of the heart not beating normally is not a big deal because the heart, most of the work is done from the bottom part, the ventricle. But when this happens, this can cause problems. So if you have 500 signals on the top part of the heart that try to get down to the bottom part of the heart, the bottom part gets a very irregular response from those signals. So your heartbeat is very irregular. It can be fast, it can be slow, it can be fast and slow. Um, so that's what occurs when the atrial fibrillation happens. Now, in the beginning, the atrial fibrillation can come and go at the very beginning stages. So you can have an episode that might resolve on its own. So the beginning part, we call it paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. It happens on its own, stops on its own. But if, it is, if it's neglected and nothing's done, it will progress to the point where it becomes permanent and you stay in AFib forever. Ooh, that's, uh, that's serious. You need to stay on top of that. Now, here's another two-parter. Are there symptoms? What are the symptoms of AFib and the risk factors? So we'll, we'll break that down. Now, the symptoms are very subjective. Um, it varies from all the way to a patient feeling nothing and not even knowing that they have AFib. And the only reason they would know about it is if they commonly they go for another procedure. They're going for cataract surgery or they're going for, you know, a screening colonoscopy. And they, you know, they, they look at the patient and they find that his heart rate's irregular. They do a monitor and he's an AFib. And they tell him he's AFib. All the way to some patients just feel everything with AFib and they, their heart's not working right, so they have a, a symptoms of fatigue, shortness of breath, chest discomfort, even passing out. Mm. So it's very varied, okay? Now, whether you feel it or not, the risk factors for AFib are there, and the biggest risk factor that we have to try to prevent is this puts you at risk for stroke, mm. okay? What can happen is if, if they leave you in atrial fibrillation, you can imagine, right, if the top part of the heart is not beating normally, it's not squeezing all the blood from the top down. So some of the blood may hang out, quote-unquote, and stagnate and form a clot. If a clot forms in the heart and it beats it out, depending upon where it goes, it can cause a problem. And the worst place it can go is your brain. So this puts you at risk for a stroke. Atrial fibrillation puts you at a five-fold increase for stroke. Wow. Let's let that um, settle in while we take the one and only break during Deborah Heart and Lung Center presents Dr. C. And our topic this half hour is atrial fibrillation. When we come back, we're going to talk about knowing key numbers for heart health, 
normal ranges for a heart rate and what is the range when you're in AFib. These are very important and Dr. C uh, is the best at articulating these things. Later on, we're going to talk about if you occasionally experience a heart flutter. I'm going to ask Dr. C, is that also uh, is a palpitation synonymous, the same known as a flutter or a palpitation, the same deal. Uh, we'll talk about that. And what does that mean? Uh, does that mean you have AFib if you have an, an occasional heart flutter? And those of you out there, if you've ever just had like a, you just feel like a little, you just know it, you know, it's one of those things where you might be, it might be hard to write a term paper on it, but you know it when you feel it, you get like a little shuddering thing and you just know that something didn't feel right. A lot to talk about with who I think is the best in the business, Dr. C, as DeBoer Heart and Lung Center presents this important discussion about atrial fibrillation. Reminder, you can schedule an appointment at DeBoer Heart and Lung Center. They're accepting new patients. 609-621-2080 on the web at demanddebora.org. It's early in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5 because of you. South Jersey's number one news talk radio station. Here's what's trending now on the WPG Talk Radio app. Atlantic City police say a Philadelphia man struck a woman in the head with a brick wrapped in a T-shirt. He was arrested after officers found him on the boardwalk with the T-shirt in hand. Homeward Bound Pet Adoption Center in Camden County is running an adoption special this weekend to encourage people to open up their homes to adoptable animals. For more South Jersey news, download the WPG Talk Radio app. Gambler. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Join me this afternoon at 3. Now back to Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you, Sean. We continue with Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, cardiac electrophysiologist. I'm saying this extraordinaire. He's really just a fabulous doctor. Love the man. Uh, Division Director of Electrophysiology and Pacing at Deborah Hart Lung Center. And the topic this half hour on Deborah Heart and Lung Center presents Dr. C is atrial fibrillation. And I can't tell you enough. It's important to know that Deborah Heart and Lung Center is accepting new patients. You can call 609-621-2080 and then request an appointment. Or you can go on any digital device, your smartphone, iPad, laptop, desktop, whatever. Go to demanddeborah.org and then you can do it right from there. Uh, digitally. So they make it very, very easy for you. And always ask, um, you know, you tell them where you are, they're going to know because they need your basic information. And then that will decide whether you're going to 200 Trenton Road, Browns Mills, New Jersey, or perhaps some of the other locations uh, that either would be more convenient uh, in terms of geography or the place you need to be. They're going to make sure that you're where you need to be. Dr. C is talking this half hour about atrial fibrillation. And we continue, uh, when it comes to knowing the key numbers for heart health, let me just turn it over to you, the expert, Dr. C. Share some of that, please. So in, in terms of overall heart health, there's, there's the, you know, we, we like to say know your numbers. Uh, obviously, blood pressure, you know, your blood pressure needs to be under control. So that needs to be, you know, somewhat normal. In terms of heart health, right, you should know your cholesterol, um, you know, make sure that that stays under control. And then the other key part, which I remind people all the time, is know what your heart is like. If your heart is normal, your pumping action is normal, that's the other number that we keep a track of. So those are the things that kind of give us the generalized uh, look at, at heart health. Um, all of those factors can affect 
atrial fibrillation. Because atrial fibrillation is a very common rhythm that can be triggered by other heart problems. So if your blood pressure is out of control, if your cholesterol or weight are out of control, all of this can make uh, atrial fibrillation worse. Very important. Uh, Dr. C., if someone's heart flutters, and is a flutter the same thing as a palpitation, does that mean they have AFib? So a, uh, a normal heart does not stay regular 24-7 if we look closely at it. So there are always uh, skip beats when we monitor somebody. Skip beats can occur from the top or the bottom part of the heart. If you feel a skip beat, you know, a little jump in your chest or a little rumbling in your chest, we call that a palpitation. That's a symptom. Um, you don't have to have the symptom to still have irregular heartbeats. But if you feel them, we call it a palpitation. Now, everybody has some irregularity to their rhythm. Everybody has some skip beats. But that does not mean that you have atrial fibrillation. When atrial fibrillation occurs, that's an abnormal rhythm that the heart sustains. And then we call that a rhythm disorder. That's not a fluttering in the chest or a palpitation. I don't expect you to pull out a slide rule here on your program, Doc, but in terms of what would constitute, like, how often having palpitations or flutters or this would actually constitute that you should get in there, see Dr. C, you might have AFib. Is there any type of um, guidance you can share with the frequency of of palpitations? So usually when, when I answer a question like that, it depends on, on the patient, as, as it always should. So if the patient is aware of palpitations, then you want to get an idea of how much this is happening and then try to find where the curve is going. If it happens, if you have a palpitation once a year and it doesn't really bother you and you keep a track of it, that's, you know, a minor issue. If you've noticed that the palpitations get worse, um, they start occurring more frequently, lasting longer, start occurring with more symptoms, then that's a different set of problems. When that starts to occur, uh, then I suggest that a workup gets started because, like I said, just because you have palpitations did not, does not necessarily mean you have an abnormal rhythm disturbance like atrial fibrillation. It may just be palpitations, but it warrants a workup so we can take a look at how's your heart, what are the risk factors, what are the trigger points, are you going through you know, some sort of uh, event in your life that is causing this. Uh, I tell you a very common reason um, for, for women is menopause. Mm. When menopause occurs, that puts them at risk for rhythm disturbances. And obviously, when, when I treat these patients, you know, the main treatment is to follow up with their gynecologist and, and deal with the menopause because that is the trigger to the problem that they're seeing me for. You are listening to Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, known as Dr. C., cardiac electrophysiologist, the division director of electrophysiology and pacing at Deborah Hart Lung Center. And I'm telling you, if you're ever dealing with any of the areas within Dr. C specialties, I promise you, I don't, I don't say this ever unless I can back it up. I unconditionally can tell you, you will be in amazing hands with a, just a phenomenal doctor that will get to know you, get to know your situation, and you'll, you'll be very, very comfortable with Dr. C. He's just awesome. Great doctor, maybe even a better person, and it's hard to say. I'm going to call it a tie. All right, so this, we all know if we go out in the cold, 
and, and you're out there for an extended period even, it doesn't even take that long, actually. You might go from 70 degrees out to, to zero or 10, 15 degrees. You can shiver and you, you can ha- almost feel like the fluttering thing. Like, oh, oh, oh. You, you get like shivers and stuff like that. So that's me as a layperson just blabbing. Does cold weather affect AFib? So I will say that it, to, to preface this, I will say that <clears throat> if you're prone to AFib, then any stress can sort of add to it. Being cold, you know, um, can lead to that. You know, obviously the, the most, you know, um, <clears throat> unfortunate story that we hear is when it gets cold, it snows, patients, you know, get up and start shoveling snow, and that's when a lot of heart problems occur. So the stress can, can trigger atrial fibrillation. Now, what's been, you know, uh, coming out of late uh, in terms of research is that if you are prone to AFib, then the cold weather increases your risk. Remember, I told you of stroke. So the cold weather can actually make that worse. Very important. Dr. C, does obesity, I know you talked about it, and sleep apnea, just as a standalone question, I know you you did address it briefly. Does this play a role into AFib? Yes, yes. Um, Whenever we at Debora work up our patients for atrial fibrillation, we will screen them for all the triggers to this. A very common trigger is sleep apnea which, if you have, makes our job tougher in treating your atrial fibrillation. So we send a lot of people to screen um, for sleep apnea. And, you know, if you have that, I, I will tell you, uh, as a side note, there is the standard treatment for, for sleep apnea. However, uh, we at Deborah have started putting in special pacemaker devices specifically for sleep apnea. Now, the pacemaker is not the standard pacemaker that we use for a heart. It's a pacemaker that we use for the diaphragm Wow! that the device can sense when you're not breathing and trigger your diaphragm to help you breathe at night to prevent the sleep apnea. And these types of things are procedures, right? Like the installation of a pacemaker, as people have known it throughout the year. When we first met, a pacemaker was the size of a pack of cigarettes almost. That's me just saying it seemed like it to me. It would protrude out. You'd see it. If they had a T-shirt on or something, you'd see this big bulge there. Now what is it, like uh, between a quarter and a 50-cent piece or something? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, you can, and you know, these devices have become small and sleek. Um you know, and we can hide them pretty well. In certain patients, we have started with even what's called leadless pacemakers. So right now, that's just at the beginning of the of the science for it. But we can insert a pacemaker, which uh, which is basically the size of a bullet that we implant inside the heart. So there are no wires and nothing on the chest. Wow! Um, Incredible. Those are simple. Those are simple pacemakers. They don't do all the things that um, a standard pacemaker can do in terms of helping the heart and the rhythm. But this is the beginning of a new technology that, you know, we'll see more down the road. You've done a really good we'll job. Talk about oh, go ahead, please. Area. Please continue. <laughs> please continue. No, no. We, no uh, well, as, as we get better with this technology, uh, you and I will talk about this in the future. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So exciting. It's, it's changed a lot over the past little more than two decades, hasn't it, already? Oh, yeah. Just, just yes. incredible. You've talked well on um, symptoms and things like that, heredity, if that's a part of it, and all this. How is AFib actually diagnosed? Somebody might come to you and say, hey, I know I'm fluttering and palpitations, but, you know, how do you diagnose it? And what are the types of treatments that are available? So, so usually atrial fibrillation has to be documented with monitoring. Either the patient will wear a monitor 
or they'll catch it on uh, um, an EKG, an electrocardiogram, and, and it has to be a diagnosis based on what we see, not just on the symptoms. Um, so once it's documented, um, then we go over our treatment uh, strategies. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. Atrial fibrillation is a problem that needs to be treated as soon as it's diagnosed. Unfortunately, because it's not a true life-threatening rhythm problem that sometimes doesn't bother patients, the patients or the doctors tend to wait on it and see how it does. And my analogy for that is, is simply this. You know, I mean, in the world, you know, the, the breast cancer screening has done a tremendous job. No one ever found a breast nodule and said, let's wait on it and see what happens. You have a lump, let's just see what happens, right? That doesn't occur. That same attitude should be taken for atrial fibrillation. Once you see it, you should aggressively come up with a plan and a treatment for the patient because that's how the patient does best in the long run. If you wait on atrial fibrillation to the point where it becomes permanent, it is very difficult to treat. If we get to you when it just started and it kind of is coming and going, you know, then we can come up with a treatment plan that patients will do well with in the future. And the best treatment for atrial fibrillation is the ablation. You know, the ablation is a procedure where we can actually go after the source of the atrial fibrillation in the heart and do a better job than, than the heart rhythm medications that are often used for this. So does the, I'm going to skip past the next one. We'll come back to that. Does that make AFib reversible with the ablation? So we, we tend not to say that. What we say is atrial fibrillation, once it's diagnosed, is your diagnosis. So I tell people it's kind of like diabetes or high blood pressure. This is what you have, but we can treat it, get it under control so that you do very well in the long run and have, you know, a normal uh, prognosis, you know, for the future. Can you even, I love that. And by the way, your other answer I loved, and it should be considered generally accepted principle. I mean, it just, it just makes such perfect sense. It's there. Treat it. Treat it. It's there. I mean, it's not probably going to get better on its own over the next 10, 20 years of doing nothing. So I really like what you said on no. that. What can you actually, even better than being treated well with it, can you actually prevent it? So in terms, of, in terms of atrial fibrillation, uh, unfortunately, it becomes more frequent as we get older. Um, so we can do everything right. So the things that, that, that help atrial fibrillation are things that help, you know, the heart, that help the body. So eating right, exercise, not being overweight. If you have high blood pressure, have that under control. If you have diabetes, keep that under control. But, if, but it may just happen uh, just with time. You know, um, so you can do everything right, but unfortunately, it becomes much more prevalent as we get older. So we will see this, um, you know, in the in the in the elderly population. For someone listening right now with a condition known as AFib, atrial fibrillation, what lifestyle changes do you recommend that they make? And are there foods to eat and foods to avoid that can be helpful or hurtful? Well, a lot of this is, is common sense. So we all know that, you know, you, you should really, you know, watch your fatty intake, watch your salt intake, exercise on a regular basis, keep your weight, you know, down. Those are important. There are certain um, foods that, that supposedly could trigger atrial fibrillation, um, you know, too much uh, caffeine sometimes bothers people, sometimes not, sometimes uh, licorice, chocolate. Um, probably the most common one that can trigger AFib is is heavy alcohol use, especially binge drinking, can actually cause atrial fibrillation. So 
that's just an obvious uh, uh, behavior to try to avoid. Final minute, final question. We got them all in, Doc. Can a person with atrial fibrillation live a full, long life? I think that's an important question for someone listening that has this to uh, to hear you talk about. Uh, yes, definitely. As long as they don't ignore the problem and we're allowed to treat them, uh, keep it under control, as long as we're allowed to protect them so they don't have a stroke, then they can do very well. You've been listening to Dr. Rafael Corbusiero, car- cardiac uh, electrophysiologist, the division director of electrophysiology and pacing at Deborah Hart Lung Center, who are accepting new patients. You can call 609 621 2080. I'll repeat 609 621 2080. I always have it in my smartphone, so you can call me at any time and I'll be your human Rolodex. I've done it many, many times for our listeners. And they're on the web at demanddebora.org. Dr. C, I always enjoy our time together. Thank you, my friend. It was too short, my man. Next time. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good day, sir. You too. It's a pleasure. What an honor. With Dr. C, he's leaving. I'm staying. And we've got some good stuff in your calls next at 609-407-1450. This is Early in the Morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. Set the first button on your car radio for South Jersey's talk station. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you. Welcome back. It is 39 minutes past the hour. So you have to you have to check this one out. And I just there's certain things I don't understand. You don't have to have been on a board of trustees or a board of education member. They all they have different learning institutions have different names. A lot of times college is called the board of trustees Uh, more locally, if you will. It's called the board of education. Many of you listening right now have probably whether your board is elected or appointed uh, have served at some point, perhaps. I did my time. I spent I did two terms on the Board of Education, and I loved it. I, I, I got on. My whole premise was I'm a parent. Uh, I care. I want to make a difference. I want education to be great. I want kids to love coming to school. I want to make the focus talking about the word student or child because it had been my experience because I was on air at the time that I was also on the Board of Education. That, that, and believe it or not, that's both a blessing and a curse. Because you, you have people that prejudge you before they even, you know, come and appear before you. And, it, and it, it's not it's not all that it's cracked up to be, believe it or not. I, I love it. But um, there have been times where that has not been necessarily a plus. You just you think it's an enormous plus, but there are times it's a d- disadvantage, actually. Oh, yeah, you're worse here than you're, you're on the radio. When I had to leave officiating after 25 years because it was basically you suck here worse than you suck on the radio and you just become a you know a distraction and you got to remove yourself from it so uh i did my two terms i loved it i loved being uh, a board member and you know one of seven if you will deciders and making sure because i also saw board members who try to run the school they're a curse they're a cancer on uh, an educational delivery system because you take an oath. Your job is to – you take the formal oath that any office holder in the state of New Jersey would take. But you also agree it, – it, it's, it's a it's a tenant. It's an edict. You agree that you should at least I, – I, I have to word it that way because I've watched – and I watch it to this day. Like you have some clowns, you know, maybe even listening right now. They have no business being on a board of education. They're a joke. They're either in it 
for to make money. They're in it to, to then run for city council or mayor. I mean, you look at the path. Uh, you see it time and time again. Marty Small was on the Board of Education for like 10 years. Then he's on city council. Then he's mayor. I mean, it's 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 a typical path. Uh, and in that respect, it's the reason why it's broken and it's hyper political because it's basically politicians that are it's a launching pad. They're just using it to get known and then they run for what they really want, which they couldn't win coming out of the box. So it, it's it's a scam on 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 the people. But you see these things. And if you if you get on a school board, just operate under the philosophy. It is your job to see that the school is run well it is absolutely not your job to run the school and that's where the big problems usually happen when a board or board members try to run the school look there's a lot of woke stuff going on there's craziness or teaching terrible sex and all this stuff to you know tiny little kids it's just awful but this one takes the cake a friend of mine that i work with um on Fox News. Oh, isn't that nice? Hold on a second. I got to say hello to the doctor. I, a very nice doctor that I just want to protect sent me a beautiful note about what we just did with Dr. C. I'm just going to say thank you. And I'll write him later. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad I just saw that. Very, very nice comment. Um, very respected doctor, by the way. Excellent program with Dr. C from Deborah. Very well spoken. Oh, and he's throwing me some nice comments, too. And you asked excellent questions. I did some. This person knows Deborah. And he's asking us to keep up the great work and uh, informing the public on these important medical issues. What a good guy. Just a great doctor, too. Awesome. I'd love just reading that. Um, So anyhow, uh, a school district, a friend of mine that I do some national work with, sent me this item and I guess it was on TikTok and it's titled Libs of TikTok but I'm, I'm not, I don't want this I'm not making this political I don't want this to be political I want this stuff to stop it shouldn't be political how can it be political why I, I, I think I made a comment about two or three minutes ago in this mini monologue about one of the reasons I wanted to be on the Board of Education, yes, I was a parent and I wanted to be involved and just I always admired different people that I saw on the Ventnor Board of Education when I was younger and prior to my being appointed. And it was pretty neat because the superintendent was my principal. The principal was my teacher. The principal became the superintendent. I got to vote. I mean, it was it was a really an amazing time. Uh, personal development and and growth and i i really loved it i loved i loved the job i don't think i would like it as much today because we didn't have any of this stuff i mean we taught basically thorough and efficient education core curriculum uh no inappropriate uh age stuff so what i'm getting at a middle school teacher and it's the rochester community schools and middle middle school they took sixth graders and I made it my business. This just says to a strip club. I made it my business to dig in and it just just became public a little bit ago. And I'll tell you how it became public in a moment. I looked into it. it not just a strip club. It's Nikki's 
Strip Club. N-I-K-K-I apostrophe S. Nikki's Strip Club. They took sixth graders to Nikki's Strip Club to do pole dancing. This was a field trip. Now, what's that about? What 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 is going on that that adults don't see the problem with that? So they had a bus or whatever they have to transport students. They had a you know did they send permission slips home to parents? Uh, sign up for Nikki's Strip Club. We want to get your permission. Now I'm trying to remember. Sixth grade, you're probably about what eleven or something like that. Eleven years old. So here's how it came out. They did the trip, and I have a picture. I'm not going to publish it. I have a picture of sixth graders on poles at Nikki's Strip Club. And this was I, – I, I can't say it's a secret. I mean they, they took them, and so – you know, but it, it was not well publicized. Anyhow, one of the board trustees spilled the beans. This person tried to get the district to do something about it. They refused to address it at all. They let the thing go go ahead and did it. Pole dancing for sixth graders. Come on. How how is this how is this even possible? And and of course, because we're living in Bizarro world, and now that it's out and they didn't want it to get out, here is the spokesperson from the Rochester Community Schools. And I'm thinking that's Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, but but don't hold me to that. Here's the statement, though. The safety and security of our students, staff and school community is always our priority. End quote. Obfuscation. Don't even respond to the actual criticism and answer in the most appropriate way in the most general terms. This is disgusting this answer is disgusting you have to finesse something you know i keep saying that in my next life i want to be harry hurley life coach and there's just certain things you get caught doing something some boneheaded thing there is a way you can mitigate but when you do this obfuscation and flat out lying and I mean, like the president has a bad scandal on his hands right now, and he's saying, oh, I can't talk about it. My lawyers told me, I, you know, I can't say anything. You're going to get you're going to get demolished with that. That, that That's going to be just the media is going to crush you. So you got to say, you know, you, you know what I would do there. And I know he wants to run one more time. So you got to be careful. Politicians never want to admit they make a mistake. But I'm telling you, the American people forgive mistakes. They hate liars. So if you said, you know what? I crushed the former president for having classified documents. And here it turns out I've got him, too. And now now not in just one location, but I got him in two locations. What a boneheaded thing to say. You know, I don't think he was committing a crime. I know I wasn't committing a crime. You know, let's just stop with this vitriol. Let's stop with prosecuting people and inventing process crimes. You could you could get out of that. He's not going to do it, though, because they're going to continue to lie and they're going to continue to conflate and they're, they're going to do things like, well, this doesn't compare to that. And when I'm telling you, whenever you're in the comparison game of it looks, you have to understand 
People aren't taking out. They're busy. They have lives. They hear a little bit about something. If they hear the guy in Florida had classified documents and they hear the guy from Delaware has classified documents in multiple locations, you're never going to win by saying that, well, his documents is really bad and mine were really good. Uh, You're never going to win. So that narrative is now both inconvenient and unavailable to you. So you need a new narrative. And what I would have advised this, I think it's Michigan School District to do, you just come out with something about they're afraid to, though. They're afraid to admit. I don't know if it's afraid of liability, lawsuits and things like that. But there is a way to finesse an answer that doesn't enrage the people. And and a nice educator is just sending me a nice note about my comments. This is not rocket scientist. You know, I, I never said I was the greatest board member ever lived. I was good, though. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie and say I was a bum. I was a very good board member. My attendance was excellent. And I think my participation was very, very good. And I cared. And I, I tried to not be a parent on the board that didn't act how a responsible board member should. You can't just act like a parent. I had to once vote and I didn't do it for three years. But I finally had to vote to end full day kindergarten. And I actually cried a little bit because it was going to affect my own child the next year. Uh, I felt that and I was not an educator at all, but I felt that kindergarten was much more substantial, much more important developmentally. A lot of people thought it's just babysitting. It wasn't babysitting. And there's all kinds of studies about this. And I think they brought it back. But there was uh, a, a period in time and I was around for it where you had to make cuts and you could only make cuts in certain areas because anything that was considered thorough and efficient, you couldn't cut. It had to stay in the budget. So we'll call it discretionary spending like you hear about uh, in government. And we did something with music that I regret, uh, put it on wheels instead of how it was working before because I think that – I see, for me, they should make these extra and co-curricular activities part of T&E. Thorough and efficient because they're so important. Theater, music, art, all of that is so important. And because it's not required, it's it's um, something that's considered, you know, an extra or co-curricular activity. That's where they always cut first. And it's such a mistake. So we had to cut full day kindergarten down to half day kindergarten. And it was that that was not a good move. And I resisted it for as long as I could. And I looked at this budget finally, and there was nowhere to cut. We went through the muscle to the the marrow, to the bone marrow. And I reluctantly voted to do that. And it's one of the – I could have just voted the other way. It still would have passed. But I would have been a fraud. I would have been a fake. I couldn't justify it. I did justify it for about three years because it was on the block for quite a number of years. But the superintendent said, look, Harry, I know your position on this. And I had a position on it before I had a kindergarten student. One was older and one was not anywhere near that at the time. And then I had to say I had to relent. I had to just say, you're right. We, we have nowhere else. I'll, I'll vote for it. I, I'll, I'll have to support this very, very unwillingly. Let's get our final break in much more straight ahead. Well, I shouldn't say much more, a little more straight ahead. This is early in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. 
WPGG Atlantic City, WENJHD3 Millville, a Town Square media station. It's Jesse Kelly. Why do you think so many countries have huge gold reserves? Gold lasts. The value of gold lasts. How many times have I told you, buy things you can touch and feel because you know the value lasts. There's nothing like precious metals, nothing out there like it. I buy all my gold from Oxford Gold Group, 833-974-1300. They'll deliver it to your front door, Oxford Gold Group. And now a small business setback is assessed by a beloved family pediatrician. Oh, hey, tiger. Big scary tree branch, give your work truck a boo-boo. Yeah. Wow. See this thing on my phone here? It's the Progressive Mobile app. Just push that little button there and report your claim. boy. When owning a small business gets painful, Progressive Commercial is here to make it all better. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. <gasps> What's this? Candy drawer? Who wants a lollipop? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms and conditions. Photo claims not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Mark Levin. Join me this evening at 6. Now back to Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you, great one. All right, here's how I get out of this one. It's, it's um... I think it's uh, intellectually honest, and I have my favorite grade school teacher of all time, the great Tom Hand. I have my favorite high school teacher of all time, the great Frank Campo. So this way, I can have two and not just pick one. It's, It's sort of in my nature. Now, my second favorite high school teacher of all time, and she might be listening right now, is Gail Marandino, even though she gave me B's when I did A work. But she explained to me, I couldn't take it anymore because I always got straight A's in English my whole life until Gail Marandino. So that's all grade school and all of high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, Lenora, Paul, freshman year, A. I forget my sophomore year English teacher. I forgive, you know, forgive me, A. Uh, Junior year, A. Senior year, the great Gail Marandino. Now, I could have got lucky like Don P. Hurley and got Robin Williams who also became a dear friend. Uh, but I got Gail Marandino, who I think is the greatest English teacher in the history of Atlantic City High School. So I finally couldn't take the bees anymore, and I went to see her. And I was very shy, very shy, didn't like public speaking, very introverted, um, but yet extroverted in terms of my running and stuff like that. But anyhow, uh, I finally got the courage. And I mean, my heart was, I could hear my heart beating. I got the courage. I stayed after class one day. And I said, Mrs. Marandino, I, I don't understand this. I said, I've gotten A's in English my entire life. And this is, you know, I don't understand this. Why, why do I get B's from you? I wanted to know. And I'll never forget it. She said, Harry, this is a quote. Harry, and it wasn't, there was a comma after it, but it was spoken, so it wasn't written. There was a pause, Harry. A B from me is like an A from anyone else. My answer was, well, nobody else is going to know that. And we became great friends. All right, so my favorite grade school teacher of all time. This is a lot of pressure because you probably heard that little education monologue that I did. How did I do, teacher? You did rather well, Harry. I just want to make a quick comment there. I was sort of stunned by your Nikki strip club situation. I know. So just to refresh your your mind, you know, um, so when you, you were 12 in sixth grade, and uh, besides all of the, the great academic work you did with Bobby Wallace and, and Ruth Davis, uh, Valerie Byron. Richie Goldstein. Your, your teachers there. Your excerpt, 
Right, later on, and we yeah. went up to um, junior high. But in sixth grade, you know, because you said uh, Nikki Strip Club was the sixth grade extracurricular activity, you're, we went to the Germany Center pool. Yes. But also, what I'm, what I'm calling out, I was a, in public education for 38 years, and I was a board member. And I went out from teacher all through administration, central office there. You know, uh, you know, as, as a board member, for any field trip, first you have the superintendent has to approve it, and then the Board of Education has to approve it. And you would send a permission slip home with every student to their parents for the parent to approve that the student right. could go on the trip. So besides this knucklehead teacher there, you also have to hold the superintendent and the board responsible. Now, there is a possibility that, this, that the teacher falsified information and they did that that would be ground for losing tenure in new jersey you know what i i was thinking about during my whole monologue on the nikki strip club thing with sixth graders it's so inappropriate i was thinking about mr schneebly any fans of school of rock the movie jack black he's he's i, I love jack black i love him in that movie the holiday uh, i love him in uh school of rock so he did something. He had to, you know, fake school rock, and then they took him took him to the contest where they went into the competition and all that. And the parents found out and came over, but then they fell in love with it. But he didn't take him to Nikki Strip Club. <laughs> Mr. Schneebly had a fake, fake a fake out going on, but he did a good thing. Uh, this is not that. Right. I mean, it's inexcusable. So there's a whole series of people that have to be held accountable and, and parents have to speak up. You know, this, now, you now know. Tom, you as a teacher, you uh, go through the litany of all the things you as a senior um, employee, you know, senior vice president and above in, in different districts. And of course, you were a member of your hometown's board of education as well. Let me just remind everyone this answer from the school district when they were busted only because a board trustee. So a member of the board of education spilled the beans because the school wouldn't address what they had done. They released the safety and security of our students, staff and school community is always our priority. That is the uh, spokesperson for the Rochester community schools. How do you give an answer like that after taking 12 year olds to Nikki strip club and dancing on poles? You can, you know, I mean, you have to make, make everybody else in the community aware of it, that every board member, you know, the public records who voted for that field trip, you know, they, they don't come in next time. I would also report it if it happened in New Jersey to the Commissioner of Education, to the State Board of Education there. And, I mean, people should lose their jobs for this type of situation. And I, I'm a pro-teacher and pro-education advocate, but you can't have this type of type of um behavior going on there and uh it's you know it's it's uh unbelievable that that type of stuff would go on there so it's the, the parents you know the parents have to realize the teachers the administration including the superintendent work for the community you know, we don't work for for the board of education I mean, for, for the for the schools, the, the parents own the schools there, and therefore they can decide how it should be run. They generally do it through their board members. But if something disagreeable takes place, they have to come forward and and end the service of those individuals. Hey, Tom, I agree. Are you amazed? We're down to two minutes. I wish we had more. And that's actually more like a minute and a half. Brian Kilmeade is going to take this microphone, rip it right out of my hand shortly. 
Are you amazed as a board member? Uh, and I, I have to say that we were not guilty of this in the Ventnor City Public Schools. It was always very child, student centric. But I've, I, you know, I've covered all these boards of education. I used to do it more than I have time to do now. I would go to these meetings and cover these things. And I never heard him say the name student or child. It was always about the next person they're going to give a job to, the next scam, the next ripoff. I mean, it's terrible. It's not unilateral, but it is pervasive. Well, as, as growing up in Atlantic City, as a native there, my you know, fourth generation, my family born in Atlantic City, to work in Atlantic City Central Office was always a dream of mine, yep. and I gave that up. I had tenure and went went to Galloway just because of the way the district was run by the board. And that was 25 years ago. I mean, do you remember, Tom? And it was when I was a student there, advanced placement, the curriculum, the school, everything. We had our problems. Uh, there were riots and things. And I remember not getting to go to a meet on time. We did get there on time because we were kept in our locker room because there was terrible things going on. There was not it was issues there that I think people forget about. But the appointed Board of Education in Atlantic City was so much better than this elected slop that they have now. I'm not calling the people slobs or slops, but just the process. It's terrible. Uh, and, and it just is a shame. The appointed it, board, because you had people that would never run in that cesspool environment that would take an appointment from a mayor. Sure, I'll serve. I'll do a term. Uh, it was so much better. Tom, until we meet again, I've got to go. The music says so. See you, my friend. And by the way, thank you for being my teacher. And thank you.